Evening, one and all. Welcome to Anything But One Podcast. Uh, my name is Twelfthman. I'm here, as always, because I'm the only one who has enough petrol money to keep this old battle barge floating. Um, who else is with me here today? Yeah, Matt Nightwing here, as always, as well. And you've got Nazgob as well. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's episode 76. 76? Uh, what I <laughs> do you know? I, I, in I, I don't. It's not like I have to Google it because I just know all this stuff in, in my head. Because obviously we're a mathematics podcast as well. But obviously. I just I double checked on Wikipedia to see if there were any interesting facts about the number seventy six. And apparently in mathematics, and you'll like this, seventy six is a telephone number. Really? Okay. Yes. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. In mathematics, the telephone numbers, or involution numbers, are a sequence of integers that count the ways n telephone lines can be connected to each other, where each line can be connected to, at most, one other line. So yeah, there we go. I just oh. thought it sounded funny saying, it's a telephone number. What's your number? You got a pen? Yeah. 76. Okay. No, no, no Alex, you'd have to, you'd have to do 7, and you'd write down 7. <laughs> 6, 6, yeah. That's it. Just that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Uh, it's also the atomic number of osmium, but that's obvious. Oh, well, please, we all knew that. <laughs> Duh. Okay, okay, well, uh, obviously, for those listening in the far-flung future, um, and this is a special message to you, Mike Jones, if you're listening to this, I don't know if we have anyone called Mike Jones. I just like the idea when people do that on TV shows. They pick a random name and somebody somewhere has that name. And in the future, someone's going to go, what? How does he know? <laughs> um, so Mike Jones, if you're listening to this in the year 2026, uh, we are still in lockdown. We are still in COVID fever. Um, of course, the irony being, because I live in Wales, England has now entered lockdown like the second time. And you and I, Matt, you have locked out for fucking ages. <laughs> We 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 are two thirds unlocked down now. Remember, we are out of lockdown. Say, aren't you aren't you coming yeah. out? Yeah. No, we are out. Yes. Do you know what though? Do you know what the most irritating thing is? Right. So, I as you know, folks at home, I'm a vegan. I'm one of those hippies. I like hugging trees and whatever. Maybe Ooh. not quite to that extent, but you know, yeah, fuck trees. Well, hmm, fuck trees. But uh, <laughs> so I love going out in nature, and Newport is not famed for its beautiful nature, right? So uh, the way Welsh lockdown has worked is you, we've had to stay within our own counties unless we have valid reasons. And unfortunately, going to see lovely bits of nature in the Brecon Beacons doesn't count. Uh, so last Thursday or Friday, we were finally allowed to leave the county of Newport. And I thought, fucking brilliant. I'm going to go and see some nature. I'm going to have a nice time. Brilliant. Literally the day before, the day before <laughs> lockdown <laughs> yes. ends, my phone goes, and I go, what's this? The NHS COVID app has blinked. What's that all about? And it says, um, you've been in close contact with somebody for more than 15 minutes who's tested positive for COVID. You must now self-isolate for five days. And I thought, fuck. And then Mm -hmm. that ticked by and I thought, this is rubbish. Because I've I've done uh, lockdown, but I have never self-isolated yet. So this is actually me literally never leaving the house for five days. (laughs) And I thought, this is rubbish. But at least I can go and see some nature on Friday. Then I have a little phone call with with the doctors because I was meant to have a doctor's appointment way back in March to have a special procedure done. It got cancelled because of COVID and I said, oh, can we reschedule? And they went, yeah. How about Monday? And I went, yeah, no problem. And they said, great. We do require you to self-isolate for three days beforehand. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Okay. So I'm, I'm now out of lockdown, but I've got to self-isolate till Friday and then self-isolate from Friday to Monday and then I could finally get some nature. <laughs> so I'm like scratching at the walls at the moment wanting to go outside. Oh, dear. But apart from that, so we, I'm d- 
absolutely dandy. And don't worry, everyone at home, it's a gastroscopy when they stick a camera down your down your mouth and see what's going on. That's sort of, nothing too serious. Just just a little just a little camera down on a big big tube. It's nothing too I hate, bad. I hate Heads up. Opted for I think that's. Uh, I have, uh, but well, good man. Yeah, good call because I think it's quite uncomfortable. Although, oh, if you ask is. nicely, I it think you can see a picture of your esophagus no, on the inside. Nope. Do not take that option. Nope, Do nope, not nope. take that option. <laughs> take take well, the option of any drugs that are on offer. Well, uh, originally I thought, now nah, it's fine, I'll do the spray thing. We just spray the back of your throat and off you go. And the no. more I thought about it, and the more people I talked to, everyone said, yeah, that's horrible. Don't do that. So, um, so yeah, not doing that. I, I once had one, uh, a, a camera go up my nose. That is one of the worst things I've ever Was that a medical thing or like a sexual thing or was it an accident? <laughs> what happened? Come on. Did you slip? Oh, it was, oh no. It, it's basically to do with my snoring. Um, ah. It was not a good experience. The numbing agent doesn't numb. Yes, I I have also have first hand experience of this. Yeah, it is horrendous. Do not do that. Yeah, no. Okay, so I did the right thing then. Yes, take all the drugs. Okay, well I'll do that. Well, the thing is, on on Friday when they confirmed it, I went, yeah, I think the spray will be fine. And since then, I changed my mind that I've not been able to get in touch with anyone to say. So I hope I turn up and I can just go, yeah, I said I wanted the sedation, and they'll go, oh, this is here on the file that you didn't want it. And I'll be like, well, yeah, I meant I, I did, and maybe they'll just give it to me anyway. Uh, you will, you will need someone to obviously drive you back and stuff. So. Well. Um, I've got a well I'm going to do it with a taxi because Anna the car okay, we've got is an yeah. automatic and she's only got an automatic license so this oh, feels okay. very much yeah, like yeah, a um, yeah. you know it's, it feels like a having a pint around in the pub and a catch up sort of uh, conversation which it's not strictly Blood Bowl podcast but I'm quite enjoying it I don't know about you boys yeah this is this, this, <laughs> I mean, this is turning into a medical podcast so yeah any any problems <laughs> please phone in we can we can diagnose them <laughs> anyway do you know what there's a whole reason why I started talking about this so what I was going to say was for those of you in the future Mark Smith or whatever your name was uh, we are in lockdown still which means very little has happened in the world of Blood Bowl or has it dun 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 actually quite a lot's happened in the last couple of weeks um well, say, we've got a lot to talk about. Fucking hell, yeah. Well, uh, we, first things first. We've got the the firstly the Teams of Legend PDF, which we hoped was going to come out, has finally come out, and it was quite funny for various reasons. So we're going to talk about it that. Was, it, it was. It was. It was initially <laughs> very, very, very funny. Uh, then also, it was initially amazing. Yes. Well, I, I and now it's it was. less amazing. It was initially Let's, fucking horrific, but we'll go into it in a minute because we've all, it, we're also going to talk about the Europen. Uh, which yes. is the online version of the Eurobowl small three-man, four-man team event, which we've all been competing in, but not all of us in the same team. <gasps> Shock horror. And, uh, and not all of us, as well as the others. <laughs> yes. And we are also going to be talking about uh, No No Fear by Dan Abinett, which I literally finished as the podcast started. So I was honestly, I was reading the last page as I was clicking the record button. I was like, yeah, yeah there we go. Okay, done. So it is so fresh in my mind. You have no idea how how much of this book I have in my head right now. I'm so ready to talk about the bits I remember, which is some of it earlier on because I skimmed the last hundred pages. Huh. And uh, oh, we don't. But first, we've got blood blusters, have we? Ah, oh, fuck it, we don't need one. It's no one's favourite bit anyway. One. It's the shittest bit. Right? We we got we've got plenty to talk about. I was if you say, want to, it's, um, it's all gold. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to, it, it's all gold. If it's you want to do blood blusters, look at the. Uh, podcast hangout chat I did with two drunk flings and two men one dice cup and tier three podcast and uh, someone else I forget was it anyone else I can't remember I'm really sorry if I've forgotten your podcast but it's on Twitch I'll link it and we did a whole I did a whole blood blusters there with my really shitty quality microphone which I didn't realise was so shit quality until I watched a video back and I was using a different microphone thinking it would be fine and now I'm the one with the shit quality audio in it which, yeah. which is just like old times 
So ju- yeah, just just a reminder everyone, other inferior Blood Bowl podcasts are available. <laughs> I feel like we should we should restart with Pretty the much. with the way um, both Dan do it. Anything but a one, the number one Blood Bowl podcast. And someone has to go <laughs> in Newport. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Oh, also, um, before pre-orders we... went up. Oh yeah, they did. But before we do all that, can I please have a mini? Not, not, not rant. We'll try not to make it a it's rant. It's going to be a just rant. a mini gripe. Sometimes you call it a rant. Oh, no, it's fine. just a gripe. I just want to have a gripe. Uh, you do that. I really, I'm going to look up. But someone sent me a message which I want to read out. So you can have a gripe, and I'll just ignore you for about five minutes. Just let me okay. know when. So, I found myself with about an hour and a half earlier. Without doing too, with, with with a bit of time, so I thought I'll get in a game of Blood Bowl. Uh, so I went on to Fumble, and I activated in the box. Now I know Matt has opinions of of the box, but what is uh, the box? I activated. Uh, okay, so the the black box is uh, a place where games are scheduled every fifteen minutes. You activate teams, and according to some fancy algorithm, it matches teams as closely as possible based on team value. Okay, which is a laughable joke, but yes, okay. I don't think it's as bad as you as you think it is. You are rewarded if you... Basically, the greater range of teams you activate, the better, because it gives you a better chance of having a decent matchup. If you do what I do and only ever activate one team, you can get some slightly funky matchups, but that's kind of why I like the box, because it makes for uneven games, and I like uneven games. Okay. Um, the problem is you do get some balance. Um, there's no other way of putting it. You you come across uh, team value one million that have uh, claw palm mighty blow because oh because they're min they maxing their team. That's got to be quite rare. Yeah, they though. min max and then they just go hunting. It's got to be relatively rare. Uh, it's not as rare as you'd like it to be. Oh. Um, the other thing is the because it's random you can't dodge games because once you're scheduled you're locked in and if you basically if you keep conceding or you'll not be you'll never get another match in the box which is so, so and that's not so bad so basically if you abuse the system it's like when they match cheaters against each other in certain games if you just play other cheaters yeah 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 so all of this is absolutely fine um, it does mean you can face some slightly cheesy teams. Uh, I quite like using edge teams because you're unlikely to find other edge teams. You get some good training against Bash. Um, but I played someone earlier. This is team value 1,700. And I was playing up to his 1,750. Okay. So, you know, technically his team's better than mine. And uh, he conceded after two turns. Two turns? Two turns. Why? Uh, well, I KO'd his ogre on turn one. I then killed his strength four lineman, but he apoed that to a badly hurt. So that's not so much of a problem, really. And literally, that was it. Okay. Like, like I don't understand. So the point of the black box is you're matched against a random person. Um, yeah. Who will be who you will have to play? And it could be any team. You might be Amazons versus Dwarves. It just happens. But the point is, you go in knowing it's going to be random, and knowing it's going to be cutthroat and brutal. So, why would you then leave unless you had a legitimate reason? I guess even a real life emergency doesn't matter in Fumble because you just go away and come back later. Yeah, but he, I mean, if he'd said that, that was fine. But it was literally just bye. Interesting. And he. I, I get the feeling he nearly conceded before the game. Now, in, in fairness to him, he was running humans with one guard. Now, two guard. He might have had two guard. Two whole guard. And okay. I was and I was running dwarves that might have been carrying 11. 
but you know that that's that's one of the things you get in the box. It's just I know my team is a bit filthy, but he had a movement ten catcher. That's not fair. You know, it's it's even if I'd scored in eight turns, he had fifteen players, so surely he was going to be able to. You see where I'm going with this? Yes, we we like, are, we all see where you're going. But like, are you feeling better me, having ranted me, about it? Yeah, me actually winning the game was probably quite tough. Mm-hmm. Ah, anyway, right, no, run over, Jeez. run over. Does is it is it just the matchups that you dislike in the box, Matt, or are um, there other things as well? Yeah, it's it's the matchup slash format. Just not a not a huge fan. Mm. So yeah, the the, the min maxing does suck. Um, it's it's much nicer when when people are actually doing it properly. Well, that's the same with everything, surely, isn't it? Everything in life is like yeah, that. Yeah, of course it is. If people do it properly, then it's nice. If they don't, then it's a fucking waste of time, isn't it? I would say so. Mm, well, <sighs> okay. <laughs> anyway, well, do you feel a bit better having ranted about it? I feel considerably better having ranted about it. I will now be quiet again. So folks at home, if ever you play Naz, uh, make sure that you concede against him turn two because it makes him really happy. Hmm. And you can hear him you can hear him <laughs> complain in, uh, in, re- in real time. Um, I'm going to quickly give a quick shout out to somebody who wants me to shout something out for him. Uh, so if you haven't heard about Manifest Miniatures, check them out. Because um, they, they let you download... STL files. So if you can, if you're a 3D printer, you can download teams from them, which they've designed, and you can print them out yourself, which is quite cool. So they've got some, um, they've got some new rooster goblins, which look pretty cool. So uh, check them out. Manifested miniatures. Here we go. Rooster goblins. Yeah. So they're like, uh, well, let's have a look. Let me look in front of them so I can actually, uh, so I can actually explain what they look like. Because uh, hold on a minute. Because now, 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 technology fails me. As it as it as it as it as it loads in front of me. Oh God! Look at this. Come on, manifested miniatures. Come on, website. Come on. Oh, you can do tech, it. Your much vaunted technology has Here let you down. Well, they're just um. So a lot of them, they've got like big false nose beaks and kind of the big red chicken flaps on their head. So they're kind of dressed up in in chicken costumes, and they look quite cool. So actually, the quality of them is phenomenal. So if you've got a good three D printer and you're not sure what to print, you could do a lot worse than buying a the STL files and um print them out. Which is quite a cool way of doing it. I mean, you have to have a 3D printer yeah. to make the most of it, or know somebody who's got one. And I do know some people who've got one, but I haven't. Um, I'm not going to abuse that friendship just yet. Uh, I'll wait until I have more, and then I'll be like, "Hey, mate, do you want to do me a favour? Yeah, check them out. Manifest miniatures. Oh, I am. I am really looking forward to playing with a 3D printer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really want one. Uh, anyway, I cannot yet justify the expense, but I really do want. Put one. Put on your That's... Christmas list. Maybe Father Christmas is listening. Fingers I mean, maybe not, but you never know. So, <laughs> so, 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 let us discuss stuff that's gone on. Friggin' Blood Bowl 2020 pre-orders went up uh, yesterday. Who bought one? Hands up, boys. Come on. I did. Hands up. I'll admit it. I got, I've pre-ordered one. I, mean, I finally pre-ordered something. First time in years. Anyone else? Yeah. I feel I should admit to placing not one but two orders, and that's because I didn't buy the cards to begin with, and then I bought the cards. <laughs> Why? Why'd you buy the cards, man? I they're gonna sit in a drawer. Know. I I know it's yeah. a mistake, but I couldn't help it. I am I am very tempted to do a second order for the cards and the tree man. Uh, the tree man is now out of stock online. Oh, that's quick. Uh, only only with them, Firestorm have still got it. 
I'm, oh, true. Oh, don't. Why did you have to say that? Now I can get it from somewhere else. <laughs> well, this also, is something for, on Firestorm. It's only like fourteen quid, I think, which is good. Now, this is something actually I wanted to bring up because I had a conundrum. Uh, and I'm sure we've all had the same conundrum, and it's worth bringing it up because uh, I probably I did a thing which I didn't want to do, but I did it anyway. So pre-orders and um, and you ordered direct from GW, didn't you? I did, yeah. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. So I don't. I've been out of love with Bob Bowl for a long time, and I'm desperate to get back into it because I I don't know why I've just not been as in the physical models. I usually paint models for tournaments, and I don't not been to any, so I've kind of I've not really seen the point. Yeah, and I've, I understand. Oh, oh that. can I interject? Yeah. C- can you paint mm. my models? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm trying, but I just have so no inspiration. So I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm I might, I'm going to buy this box set, and then I'll give me an excuse just to paint the fuck out of it, and maybe it'll inspire me. And go, yes, I'm into it again. Um, yeah. So I was looking at where to get it from. I'll see. And uh, yeah. usually, and usually when you go to your friendly local game stores, it's a bit cheaper and blah blah blah. But in, in this particular mm. case, the difficulty was so it was the same price. Okay, fair enough. If it's the same price, you can go for the friendly local game store because why not? But what I, I talked to one of the guys from Firestorm on Facebook, um, and you, Games Workshop are giving you extra gubbins if you pre-order through them. Oh, yeah. Games Workshop have shafted the independent retail. And they, also I understand been, the choice. Yeah, they really have this time around. I gotta say, the thing is, it 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 it's makes them it gets them more cash. They get more money out of it. I like know. They have screwed the independent retail. Which is why bit, I feel like an absolute twat. Yeah. Because you get well, so. You, what you get is you get extra dugouts, yeah, fair enough, whatever, like the winter ones. And you get the thing I'm most most interested in is the Blood Bowl three beta testing key, because yes. I have gone on about these rules for so long and how I'm really unsure about them, and I'm concerned still about what they're going to be like. And I want to be able to say, okay, I have now played the rules, and this is my formulated opinion on it. And having access to that in 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 the environment where you cannot get it wrong is going to be huge. I mean, this is this is cyanide, so we don't know if the rules will be necessarily exactly correct straight away, but it's hmm. going to be a pretty good estimation, isn't it? So uh, that's see, what I'm concerned about. To, to be honest, Alex, I was in the same boat, so I, I did both. So I, I ordered the, the box set, so I got the gubbins from GW, yeah. but then I, I ordered uh, the board and the dice and Bugman, because it was out of stock on GW, but Firestorm had it, so I ordered him mm. as well. Yeah, I get that. Uh, mm. Plus Spike, I think, from them, and a couple of... Did you get Zolkath? As well. No, because he's too expensive and he's Forge World, so you have to get it direct from Forge World. So oh, he is that, Forge World, is he? Oh, yeah, so that was it. That was a no from me. Um, he looks so cool, though. Yeah, he does. He does. He does look cool. Um, he looks so cool. But I mean, the the price you can literally. I, I could go on eBay and buy a like nineteen eighties Zote for that price. I know. <laughs> so it's so rare that I've seen the big chunky models from Games Workshop from from Forge World. Usually I've seen them and go, "Ah, it's way expensive. It's too big. It's too ugly. It's I'm never going to buy it." No, uh, it looks but good. It looks the good. first time yeah. I saw Zolkath oh, and I'm like, "Oh, so good. It's a really cool model, and I really want it." And I know it's got feet up in the air, and it's on one foot because you know, even though he's got four feet, he's still got to be on one foot. That's the, that's the rule, isn't it? But, but apart from all that, he's he so damn cool. cool. I God think damn it. I th- and I think we did discuss when it came out in, I can't remember which Spike magazine the Zote was in, but we did say he was viable for Amazons because it's Yeah, big, oh he absolutely is. And that, that is that is quite tempting. That is mm. so that that might be a future purchase at some point. But that that was not Maybe. a that was not a now purchase. So I'm like, I'm already blowing 150 quid on <laughs> various GW <laughs> things. I, I don't really want to make that like 190, that's too much. And uh 
and also he's not got the ball in his hand, so he actually does break one of the cardinal star player rules. In a good um, way. He certainly That's does. That's a rule oh, I'm happy in a good way. to break. Yeah. Oh, Jay, so he's so. I'm just looking at the model even more. He's got like horseshoes with spikes on. Oh, he's so cool. Fucking he's a, love this model. He's such brilliant. A model, such a oh, look at him. Oh, I'm, I'm going to look away from him before I start feeling sad. Oh, oh God. Okay, how much is he? Thirty? Was he thirty-eight? Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Oof. Thirty-seven. He's so expensive. And then you've got to pay for the postage from Forge World as well, I think. Which is always the the classic one, isn't it? Are you kidding yeah. me? Okay. Well, uh, that's so incredibly rude. Why have you got to do both? <laughs> hmm. Um. Well, 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 we're not going to talk about him today. We've got so many other things to talk about. We're already 45, 35 minutes in and we barely scratched the fucking surface. So, yeah, the, um, that, that's what I was going to talk about. It's, it's so difficult because as a consumer, you want to vote with your wallet. But then also as a consumer, as a savvy consumer, you want to get the best deal for you. So it's like, well, if I go straight to the supplier, I get extra gubbins for the same money. Then maybe that's what I want to do. But then it's a case of, is it worth... So these extra dugouts and the, and the beta code, is that worth me paying the same price and getting less if I'm supporting someone I know and like? Is that it? So my problem was that because GW screwed the small stores, so I, I'm not worried about supporting Firestorm. I know that people will buy from them anyway. I know they'll get the support. But my local game store has got one. Oh, I've heard about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, all these local yeah. games so get one most copy. game stores have literally got one copy what the fuck is so that like, about well they they can't they, it, it's because I I think if, if we were being nice it's because they were screwed over with Indomitus where they massively underestimated demand and everything was sold out so quickly yeah. so they decided they were just going to say okay well everyone gets one if we're being realistic it's because they wanted to have the pre-orders get themselves. as much profit. Yeah. They wanted as much profit as possible. Mm. Yeah, that, and, that, and, and I can't, true, yeah. I can't criticize that. I cannot criticize that. It's difficult. Mm. It's 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 like uh, Magic the Gathering are doing it as well. There are ways that these big corporations, and they are doing very well successfully. They are making a huge amount of mm. money. There are ways for them to do better, and often the better they do, the better they will want to do. And so you'll I find they're not cash grabbing because they're out of cash. They're cash grabbing because they're making money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I, but the the problem is because you've used Magic the Gathering as an example there. But Magic the Gathering are, as I understand it, very very good at supporting the local comic shops and the local gaming stores in in providing like extras and stuff like that. They are in that way. They've been doing a more dodgy stuff recently. So. If any any of any folks at home aren't who are into Magic the Gathering will probably know what I'm talking about. But it's effectively um, they are releasing. Oh, what are they doing now? They're releasing unique cards you can only get if you buy certain incredibly expensive things using tie-ins to other real-life universes like The Walking Dead and stuff, and making yeah, these cards yeah. fully legal. Which means it's like having a. Um, imagine if Blood Bowl came out with a star player who was like I don't know Harry Potter, and he was a star player suddenly, and he was legal. And he was—he might be quite good. He might be not very good. But the fact is, he is a legal star player, which is meant to be a cash grab for all the Harry Potter fans out there. Um, and the only way you can get him is through this special super duper five hundred pound Harry Potter box. And it's, it's that sort of thing. It's just naked profit—not naked profiteering, but it's—it's it's sacrificing the integrity of the game in order to make more cash monies. And as a as the user of the product, you go, "Oh, that's really fucking shit. I don't like that." But you can see why, as a company, they go, "Yeah, this is a good idea." But then it's a case of is the longevity longevity of the company 
worth it? Is it worth alienating people to? Uh, uh, do you know? Do you remember the period, the black period, if you like, when um, the dark times, <laughs> when Games Workshop were a massive bunch of fucking. <laughs> excuse my French, but do you remember that? There was a point where they were doing. Yes. League, you, you know, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Um, I don't know. Was it ten years ago? Maybe less. It's hard not to. It was a time when. Uh, yeah, probably about right. And they were they were running like a business. Yes, and it, it pissed everyone off. And a lot of people were like, yeah. this company is one of the shittest companies ever because they're such arseholes. They're an incredibly expensive product. They're doing everything they can to monopolize the market. They are not making the game good. They are just trying to sell as much shit as they can. And it, and it suffered. And then what? they went, actually, maybe we can do things better. And they started engaging with the community. And they started trying to do things nice. And suddenly they became quite a good company. This is this is the thing that happened, isn't it? I'm not making this up. I, no, this no, is, no, 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 this no. Is, no 100% accurate. No, I was going to say, they went... They went through a period of making some horrendous fuck-ups in terms of I mean, alienating I mean, pretty much everyone. I was going to go with questionable decisions, uh, but yeah, that, that well, works too. I, the, the, I mean, I mean the, the, the IP purge was pretty damn uh, pretty damn rude, should we say? <laughs> yeah, that, that was rough. I also think that they were... Uh, they were not working to support the existing fan base. They mm. were actively pursuing new uh, fans and as a result they were not making any effort to support the people who'd got them or the people who felt that GW owed them because they had supported the company to begin with. I think and I think one of the one of the issues and I think Blood Bowl certainly falls into this is it was a game that GW were not um, were not supporting had no interest in Mm. supporting yeah, but then they still went out of their way to send like cease and desist notices to Blood Bowl fan sites. Yeah, and which it's is like kind of a dick move. That that's a dick move, and mm. it's, you know the the same with Necromander, Epic, all the specialist games. Basically, they were like, "Yep, yeah, we're not supporting them. We're not doing the models. We don't sell any mm. of it in our stores, but we don't want anyone else writing about it either." Yeah, which just felt unnecessary. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so, an uh, uh, interesting fact, guys, uh, folks at home. This is why <laughs> I imagine nobody. Uh, it's like I wonder if could you imagine probably more reputable podcasts. I imagine have, have could have could get interviews or discussions with like or, or, or previews or anything like that. We don't get those sorts of things because <laughs> w- we have sentences <laughs> like. So basically, Games Works are a bunch of fucking. <laughs> which we is tell not it, something we, we we tell it like it is, man. We tell we, it like it. We, we represent can, the disgruntled I, long-term gamer. Historically, they have not done well. They are now absolutely awesome. Yes, I, I say, would say and, they're doing a lot better. And yeah, to be fair, like I have been up to um, Warhammer World for the last couple of New Year's open days. They have been pretty great. It is pretty great meeting, you know, the the guys who actually do games and also taking photos of like squats and things like that. Oh, in, that was cool. In the cabinets, which is pretty great, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. all that being said, they um, they had been bad. Now they're awesome. And the fact they're taking all these new risks, it means people like us get excited. And do you know what? In many ways, I'm very excited about BB2020, but we'll get onto that in just a minute. But what, what I'm trying to get, the point is I'm trying to get is, this is the sort of thing that we as consumers have to be mindful of because is this yeah. the first step towards GW trying to fight against the brick and mortar local game stores like they have done previously and then it's a case of do you remember for example there were lots of these um, made to order stuff and I'm pretty sure I remember this happening I remember uh, Mini Wargaming I'm sure they were discussing it in a video once and he did an op- the guy did an open letter to him, GW and it was 
him saying that there was all these actions GW were doing to effectively prevent local game stores from being able to market and sell a lot of the stuff which were like specific made to order or more more unusual things yeah. meaning they were driving people towards their own website and causing brick and mortar stores to suffer yeah, and it's just yeah. you've got to be careful with this and I maybe I feel guilty now because I fucking pre-ordered it through them didn't I because I got free extra shit now I'm fucking ah, oh, I'm in a moral quandary look what's happened I've talked myself know, this is how I became a vegetarian I talked myself into the position shit well there uh, we go on, on, on that note um, and sort of saying into the, the kind of next bit as well Naz did you did you order Inferno in the end I didn't because I couldn't justify the cost what is Inferno I, I well I was going to say I, I ordered it through Firestorm as part of my my, my guilt purchases um, I was oh, like oh now that's an interesting thought Inferno. that's that's great so I've ordered the first volume and I may well follow up because I have I don't think I have any of the Inferno but I do have fond memories of reading the comics back in the day so I thought oh, yeah. I thought, I'm looking at it on I, Google yeah I thought so I thought like oh I'll order the first volume so, it's like eight quid I was like yeah let's let's go with that and the, the others may follow at some point for those who are not as old as me and Matt and by old I mean as old in the hobby uh, I would go with about 99 Late. In, uh, Games Workshop started producing their own comic book. They it was oh, like cool. an anthology comic book as well. Yeah. Um, so you had that's where Uriel Ventris first turned up. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah, and I think maybe one or two others might have debuted. Yeah, there. I mean, they, there there are quite a lot that yeah. that turned up from there originally, and it's it's great. It's brilliant. Cool. So they they re released um, it. They they have done a print on demand. Yeah, it's it's a which is actually yeah. a really cunning way of doing it. I think I think it's the smart way of doing it, but it is one of those things where it's like, yeah, I I, I certainly couldn't resist the first volume. Once I've read it, that's one where I may well go back and think, yeah, I might well pick mm. up additional volumes of that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so what were you saying? Oh yeah, folks, just be aware. Watch this space. Let's just keep keep an eye on them. They've been doing they've been they've been doing a lot better. They've been very awesome the last couple of years. But let's just keep an eye on them because this is the sort of thing which is just a little bit dodgy. So, um, yeah, well, keep uh, a beady so, eye so out. In, in in summary, well played, GW. But we've got an eye on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I I would definitely give them more credit than that. I think they've done a a really good job recently of just generally supporting the community and. Yeah, I think there's a lot, a lot of good stuff going on. Yes, absolutely. So it's credit where credit is due, but then that doesn't mean you get a free pass. And we we absolutely, we do this because yeah. we love you, Games Workshop. We don't want to see it happen again. This is an intervention, okay? So fucking around. <laughs> this, you've got a good thing here. We're all happy here. Let's all just let's all just be at peace. Uh, so can we talk about Team of the Legend? Because it's because it's really funny, and I really want to talk about it. Go on, please. Yes, Gary. go on. Ah, oh, okay, on. right. So. Some people, um, myself, I might include myself as one of these people, a little while ago, when all the new rules were leaked and some people got a look at them, made a made a made an astute observation, which is, oh my god, some of my favourite teams are not on this list. For example, Chaos Dwarves, for example, Kemri, for example, Vampires. They weren't on the list anywhere, and some of us went, Oh my god, what are we gonna do? And some yeah, other this, people the, the, I was gonna say, this disproportionately affected us because in both Alex and mine case it's like those are our favourite teams. Where have they gone? <laughs> yes, uh, and some more level-headed. Yeah, I mean, people... it didn't worry me yes. as much because people went, "Well, they're just going to release a team's legend PDF," and we went, "You don't know that, man. You just don't know." Uh, and then they released a team's legend PDF, and all the teams were back. So, hooray! 
Uh, well, no, yeah, I mean, well, no, let's, let's, be, it's let's good. be fair. They released Tombs of Legend PDF and then realised that no one had proofread it. <laughs> oh, no, there was a glorious moment where Amazon's had four words. Yeah, so let's this is um let's go through it quick because oh god, it was funny. I haven't even read the fluff. I, I'm wondering if the fluff has got errors in it as well. I'm sure. It, oh, anyway, they've probably copy pasted oh, from the last ten years worth. So I'm sure it's fine. But yeah, so they've updated the teams that were no currently don't have Spike magazines for them or models. And do you know what? This this actually reminded me. There's what eight teams on here or six? There's six teams. It's not many, yeah. is it? So every, there's six teams on this list, and every other one of those teams has had new models for them since BB6, which is so it's, it's hard to complain. That's a really good thing. Yeah, that's kind of amazing, really. Um, hmm. But the fact is, oh, let, let's just go for it because it's funny. So the first thing was Amazon teams. Well, they were completely unchanged. Well, not completely unchanged. So that's a complete lie. Um, they were they were more or less the same. Uh, Eagle warrior throwers hmm. and piranha warrior catchers, which we shall be hitherto referring to as throwers and catchers, uh, yeah. got a five k increase. <laughs> that's fine. Amazons were incredibly but cheap anyway. Whatever. Did anyone ever take those positions? No, what, really. what you do is, if you had twenty k left, you just bought a catcher, maybe. Or if you were desperate, yeah. you took a thrower and now to leave. Now again. never will. Um, the uh, the line women have lost ability to take passing access. The catchers have lost the ability to take passing access. So big whoop. Uh, but the weirdest one was the koala kalium blitzes. Who we shall from henceforth refer to as blitzes, because uh, who's going to call hmm. them coca? It doesn't make sense. Um, so the the blitzes, uh, same price, except for some reason they had the skills block, dodge, and leap. They were movement eight. And they were agility four or agility two plus, I should now say, which yeah, you may have noticed. There were some weird choices. Was a war dancer stat line. So for a brief moment, Amazons could have four war dancers at ninety k each. Hey, and it was amazing. <laughs> mm. And lots of people. So Games Workshop released it and went, "Hey guys, here's the team's legend PDF." And everyone went, "Wow!" And then within about four seconds, lots of people responded and went, "Hey, <laughs> hold on a minute." Well, let's, yeah, let, let's <laughs> let's just let's just say we are uh, we we have a uh, a chat group which was going a little bit mental because we were going, <laughs> we were going wait what? And I personally was less excited about Amazon so I was like well that makes Amazon's completely broken but it's probably a mistake I was yes. more excited <laughs> I was more excited by the misprint on Chaos Dwarfs which oh. they immediately also went back on damn well, it let's, let's go on to them shall we so Chaos Dwarf teams they are uh, mostly unchanged so we've got a few things like you know um, losing passing access on the Hobgoblins fair enough and the Bull Centaurs so you can't take lead on your Bull Centaurs anymore your enslaved Minotaurs got animal savagery now yes instead of... which no, no, one, no, one, no one took the Minotaur anyway uh, yes, and animal savagery. That's a skill we might be seeing more of in yeah, a minute. Yeah, we'll, we'll come. We'll come to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but yeah, the rerolls were what sixty k. They were fifty. They were down. They to were fifty. Fifty fucking k. I yeah. was I was very excited because I was like, that's brilliant. It it makes very little difference, but it means you can get an extra hobgoblin in. I was like, great, that's that's fantastic. And then they went, oh no, shit, that's another mistake. <laughs> wah, wah. Oh. But at least everything's the same price, so it's not like they've upped the price of everything by a bit to fuck you over. You can buy exactly the same team, basically. Yes, right? although, um, although, yeah, I may, I may, have, I may be making this up. Am I right in thinking that chaos dwarf blockers are worse passers than dwarf blockers? Um. I think it's the same, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> I think all dwarves pass on a six. Is it all dwarves? Is it okay? That's fine. I think so. Oh, yeah. Well. I, I, well, is that? The, I mean, that's probably if that's pretty the worst thing you can say issue. about it. Then I think that's okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I really don't think it's a it's a thing for you to worry I was, about. I, I was relieved they hadn't fucked things up by um, you know 
I don't know, adding in another position, I was thinking, oh, we're going to have like hobgoblin catchers or something mm. stupid like that. I was like, well, great, they haven't messed with it. Minotaurs are still shit. Shame about shame about the rolls, but fine. What's quite interesting is, in some ways, I think they've had a bit of a buff because look at all the star players they can access now. So Amazons can access one group of star players, the Lustrian Super League. So that's going to be three oh, yeah. or four yeah, stars. Yeah, yeah. Chaos Dwarves have got Badlands Brawl, Favored of dot dot dot, and World's End Super League. So they can probably access about twenty star players now. Well, the the, the Chaos ones are interesting. The the fact they can get the Favored of because that means presumably Lord Boar. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they can get, so. I think they also with World's Edge I mean, Super do you League. Want Lord well, what no, you can do, no, no, but I do want Ludwig or um, Varag. Yeah, Varag. Yeah. So you yeah, can take all the Orc and Goblins ones and all of the. Uh, is the World's Edge Super League? Is that the dwarf one? That's the old world one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's the dwarf one. They can take the dwarf. So they, can they take things Ooh. like Barrack Farblast and um, fucking the the, uh, the Trollslayer one? Yeah, Ooh, yeah, that's yeah. perfectly legit. That that's is very. Uh, this is why <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, from a fluff perspective, it's a bit like, huh? but I mean, it's cool, I guess. Yeah, I, know. I, I mean, <laughs> that is a bit. Odd. I was gonna, I was going to say I do like the idea of like Grim <laughs> and Jaw turning up and going, and then going, it's okay. We're normal dwarves. We <laughs> just have we just have bigger hats. It's Curly fine. a beard. For me, it would be the idea of Rombrindle the White Dwarf. Because he's a star player and he plays for World's Edge Super League, doesn't he? So oh, he could shit. be like, yeah, he does, I yeah. am the white dwarf, I That's am the king so of the Dawijar. Who are you guys? Normal dwarves. Great, let's go. <laughs> I like the, I like, Alex, I like the idea of that. And then he goes, Has that dwarf got four legs? <laughs> That's a big dwarf. <laughs> Don't worry, it's fine, Grombrindle. Um, that's just fun. What's quite interesting is, did you know? Uh, I mean, um, this probably wouldn't happen because they got Badlands Brawl and World's Edge Super League. I think they can take both the White Dwarf and the Black Goblin. I wonder if they can take oh, them at the same time. Oh, I can. <laughs> that's weird. I I intend to do that at the earliest possible oh, opportunity. So you could take a Troll Slayer, and could you take Ripper as well? Could you take a Troll and a Troll Slayer on the same team? Could you take Grim Iron Draw and Ripper? So you have a Troll and a Troll Slayer. This is important information. We need to discover this. I don't. Because if see, so, why not? I am fucking taking that team because <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I do, oh, so to, good. Be, to be fair, I do I do like these secret weapon style access. That's interesting. Yes, well that's that's what I mean. They've got because you just have so many rules. You have got so much you can take. That's crazy. Um, but let's move on before we all before anyway, we yeah, all herniate. Yeah, yeah. High elves. Yeah, and, um, and, and, as we have discussed before, stars are entertaining. Yeah. Yes. Um, so 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 high elves are still crap. Well, they're even they, crapper they, now. They, I was going to say they, they were crap before. Now they've made them worse. Because <laughs> of course, high elves were the <laughs> were the biggest. If anyone needed a nerf, it was high elves, wasn't it? Oh, they, those overpowered high elves going around winning all the tournaments all the time. <laughs> so uh, let's have a look. They, well, so their throwers are more expensive. Their throwers are now hundred k. Much, much more expensive. Oh, yeah. I mean, why are they so much more expensive? It doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Because um, because throwers are a theory better now. Mm-hmm. But they're only they're only yeah, 10K. They're, not. They're, they're 10k more expensive, so it's not like the yeah, worst. Yeah, they thing. don't need a price boost. No, I think I think it's I th- I imagine the thinking was it, at least in theory, Hives were always the best passing team in the game. In terms um, of yes. in, ter- in, ter- in, ter- in terms of the skills both the throwers had and the catchers had, and the catchers were strength three rather than strength two, like the Wood Elf one. So theoretically, you think. Okay, they're the best passing team in the game. So they've gone. Well, we we want to make passing a separate thing. Yeah. yeah. And as part of that, they've gone. Okay, well, we're going to give um, the the high offers have all the passing skills they need to be amazing. 
Yeah. So, they, well, so, so I, I get the logic behind it, but I think it's flawed because High Elves did not need yet another crutch, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's strange because no. they've got the you think okay they've got a, a cast increase, but they've got an extra skill. You look at Cloud Burst and Safe Pass, great, they've got an extra skill. But Cloud Burst yeah. and mm-hmm. Safe Pass, I think, were more or less just what Safe Throw used to do. I think yes, one is exactly, re-roll deceptions yeah. and one is re-roll or pick, not drop fumbles or not drop accept fumbles. So yeah. although it looks like they got an extra skill, in fact they just do the same as they always did, but for a bit more cash monies, which is a shame because again they were a team that fit pretty much bang on into one point one, one point one five. They had a nice little roster for each, but it's not the worst thing in the whole world, you know. Could be worse, yeah. I guess. Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. Um, I still don't understand how they like. I, I, I would like to. I would be interested in, in understanding the logic behind why certain pieces get passing access and certain pieces don't, because I cannot seem to figure out a logic for it. So, for example, no, the high elf I, team, I, the passes no, got. I, I don't think there is the one. The have, only thing I can think is that it's based on the team itself and how much passing access the team has. Yeah, I think they're. I think for most teams, they're trying to go for two positionals having it, unless it's a bash team, in which case it's like well. Obviously, only one player gets the passing acts, but I, d- I don't think that it's really well thought through. I think it's just passing's going to be great in the new uh, thing, so we want to limit who gets passing skills. It's like mm. I, I think that might be the intent. I don't think that's how it's going to work, but let's see. I guess if so. they just said, "Okay, all throws get passing access," fair enough, and anybody who passes on a four plus gets pass access, then I'd be like, "Okay, that makes logical sense." But it just yeah. doesn't like that. Blitzes, for example, no, have got passing it, it, access. Catchers don't. Huh? Linemen do what on high off teams? It's just weird. Yeah, it's it's odd. There is there is some odd stuff going on here. There is no question. Um, about this is that, the only yeah. problem I have with um one of the only issues. One of the issues has got a BB twenty, and I have issues, but also like I said before, I'm excited. But it's things like so when you build your players now, it's a case of just remembering not only who gets what on singles and doubles, but who cannot take what in any circumstance. It's just like an extra bit of bookkeeping to do. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, anyway, it's only a that. minor gripe. Anyway, so yeah. high off teams got slightly nerfed. Poor guy, and of course, because passing is no longer as important and no longer as good, based on my previous discussions, it's just a general general nerf for them anyway. Because everyone else, if, if the bash teams stay the same and high off teams stay the same, because passing got worse, they get a nerf by comparison. Does that make sense? By by default, yeah, I think that's fair, yeah. yeah. What happened to Norse teams? They're a bit all oh, over the place. Norse teams are yeah. No, they're more or less the same, except Elf Warriors are more expensive now. Yeah, right. So uh, just as a comment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, no, no, that's fine. So everything is exactly the same. Uh, They pass on, the throwers pass on a three. Basically, they're not great. They're not a passing team. We know they're not a passing team. Everything else is exactly the same. The thing about the Elfs is, uh, if you take a look on Fumble, Fumble is a great resource for this, for starting rosters. I have that bookmarked. So so they have... Six different variations of their starting roster. Uh, one, two, three, four out of the six are no longer possible because of the price increase. Having so, now, yeah, hold but, on a sec. They've got I, they've got a, a price decrease. Elves were one o. They used to be one ten. They're now one o five. Actually, they got cheaper. Oh, they gone down. I thought they went. So up. did I, but no, they've gone down. No, no, no tells they've, me they used to be one ten. They've they've gone down. Yeah. Oh, fuck me! Then. Oh, beautiful. Well, actually, then that—that's quite nice. That gives them. It's well. Did they need no, that? The, the, the thing is, they've gone down. They didn't need it because it basically means you save ten k, but it doesn't really matter because you can fit everything into Norse teams anyway. Well, there is that. Yeah, I suppose you could take it's, maybe another catcher. It, yeah, it's a bit. It's it's a bit like the thing where it's like, okay, great, I, I've got another ten k to do nothing with. <laughs> Interesting. 
Well, there we go. I mean, again, Norse teams didn't seem to be a team that needed a buff particularly, but uh, whatever. Oh, and the fact um, they can't take uh, Cheney anymore, so that's that's a shame. That is a shame. Yeah. But they can't take Griff, so there we go. That's interesting. It's weird. So I always thought Norse teams, according to the fluff, well, Norse are uh, Norska, they are chaos, right? Norse are chaos. They are More a chaos. Less, yeah. So <laughs> not in well, this one. Well, they're, they're not necessarily no, chaos, no. but they live in the same area. I'm looking at my book up there. I've got a book called Wolfric the Wanderer. If I open it up, is it going to be all chaosy and weird or what? Um, they are. They are. It, there are variations of Norse. I think is the answer. Right. Okay. That's fine then. So these ones are the not gribbly ones. No, because you, you used to, I believe, be able to get like Norse dwarfs, which were not, which were notably different from chaos dwarfs, basically. Mm, okay. Oh, fair enough. They, 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 they were, they were not bad dwarfs. They were just, yeah. Well, it's interesting because you never you used to see Boomer sometimes on a Norse team, and now you can take, uh, well, now you can take the Lizardmen star players. So you could take Zolkath. You could take uh, what's it called, um, Dribble and Drool, which is weird. You could take Griff. You could take Puggy. Can you take Puggy on a Norse team now? Because of Old World Classic? Uh, I think you can, can't you? Yeah, Old World I Classic guess. is... Ah, oh, folks at home, the first one of you who takes a Norse team with Puggy Bacon Breath will get my respect. That's worth <laughs> anything. And, 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 and you will deserve it at that point, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they got actually a bit of buff. That's nice. I always assume all the... Every 5k increment I've assumed is just a price increase. So that's the first time it's gone down and I've gone, oh, fair enough. Um... Let's move on. Only two more left. Oh, oh boys. Oh, I am a happy Alex. Oh, my days. Oh, my I don't know, I, uh, I, we discussed this, Alex. And I don't really know why, because it's not like a massive boost. It's Oh, they, oh they've, got a ve- they've got a very, very, very marginal buff. Well done, Kemri. Well, okay. well. Yeah, so Kem- no, Kemri have had two mass- one massive and one nice buff. Yes. So I think. the massive buff being, hey, guess what? My throw is now passed on a three. That's nice, isn't it? That, that is yeah, crazy I mean, that, good. I mean, obviously they're passing better than elves. I know that is ridiculous. With a I pass with a re- three pass with a reroll, yeah, now means that's quite a reliable pass. I mean, who's going to catch it? Don't know. We'll worry about that later. <laughs> that's quite nice. <laughs> yeah. but, but that's I, so useful for so many different mm. things that, like, I, I, oh. I think that's one of those that's just like that's so stupid. <laughs> that really is very, well, very stupid. What they're trying to do is make throwing good again, make throwing great again, uh, and so it makes. They are sense. trying to encourage you to take dedicated throws. That is not the same thing. I would always have taken two on a Kemri team, and if you're at home playing Kemri, take two throwers. Stop well, walking around. Uh, take two throwers. I, I was going to say, to be fair, you have always needed to take two throwers on Kemri because no yes. fucker else can pick the ball up. Exactly, and mm. when your one thrower trips over and knocks himself out, and you go, "Well, I guess I'm carrying with a blitzer now," well, <laughs> or so, skeleton. Alex, Alex, let's let's be honest. Um, you know, it still happens that it's a four plus with a reroll. We, we've both had occasions where you go, "Oh shit, I failed to pick the ball up. I'm immediately in trouble, even with sure hands." <laughs> yep, and with Kemri, <laughs> it's even worse. But the that's yeah. the that's the see. I consider that to be a minor increase. That's okay. But the amount of time when you throw with a with a with a Kemri guy, you're fucked anyway. Usually, you're, you're in a shit situation regardless. But the yeah. thing that I love, oh, and I love it so much, is the team is completely unchanged except for the throwers and the blitzers have now both got thick skull. Oh, yes. Oh, finally. My prayers have been answered. And I know it doesn't seem like a like big thing, but it's good it for isn't. two reasons. No, it is. It's good for two reasons. They're, mo- they're your most valuable pieces and they're the most vulnerable pieces in many ways, your throwers and blitzers, because they're usually the ones getting stuck in and they're almost always the ones you put skills on, apart from the guardians. So having that little extra little 
extra boost, which is not game-breaking, but just a little bit of extra, here you go, mate, thanks for trying, is, is nice to see. Uh, and the fact is... Um, it made sense if you put a helmet on a skeleton, he should have thick skull. If he's already got thick skull, putting a helmet on, if anything, makes his skull thicker, right? Or at least helps him. And the fact is, anointed blitzers, and this is something I always harp on about when I'm drunk or sober, anointed blitzers mm -hmm. and undead whites were exactly the same in every conceivable way. Same skill access, same cost, same skills, same stats. Except the anointed blitzers were one agility lower. And I always thought that was a fucking rip-off. I thought, why? That's so unfair. And now I'm happy to say I'm pleased with this little boost because now they are slightly different. Therefore, it's justified. I the, I think it is right. I, it is the correct thing to have happened. I think I think it's fine, but I think you are massively overestimating the use of thick skull. Because um, from experience, I don't believe I've ever played as Kemri and not lost <laughs> at least two skeletons on the line of scrimmage. Well, there is that. Um, however, I mean, I, thick, also thick, thick thick skull has never ever ever helped me. <laughs> it's helped me quite a lot. It's like, it's one of those things. Yeah, but that that's you just... because you, that's because you're a lucky fuck. <laughs> yeah, what can I say? Also, to um, be fair, on uh, thick skull should make a significant difference. It, it doesn't. They just die. Uh, I think it makes it. it we'll agree to disagree. I like it. Uh, I think it it's based on the number of games you play because eventually, over a long enough period, statistical. Uh, uh, patterns will develop. No, you're incorrect. The reason you're incorrect <laughs> is it's thick skull is exactly the same as having blodge. If you have block <laughs> and dodge, your opponent will always roll a pow. It will be a one dice, and it will always be a pow. By the, <laughs> se by, the by the same token, if you have thick skull, your opponent will always roll at least a nine. It's just <laughs> one of those blood bowl shitty things. <laughs> Oh, good. Um, but another little bonus thing is they can now take Wilhelm Cheney. And Wilhelm Cheney has been, his cost decreased for some reason. So he's even better. Yay. But they've got better star players now because Kemri star players were a bit fucking rubbish. I, I, I will say the Kemri having actually access to good star players is quite interesting mm -hmm. because that that is one area where, like, at 1.2, Kemri, you just go, well, I'll just buy more skeletons then. <laughs> that's literally it. <laughs> you go, I guess I'm turning up with 16 skeletons then. That's what I, that's exactly. what I do. It's like, it's like you just couldn't do anything. Now, at 1.2, you can go, ooh, I can I can have like 11 players, but also have a quite good start and a couple of rerolls. Yeah, that's doable. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm checking the, um, I'm checking the, uh, the rules, the star players here. Uh, and yes, you can take Grom Brindle if you've got the... Uh, the Old World Classic or the World Age Super League, and you can take the Black Gobbo if you've got the Badlands Brawl, which right. Chaos Source okay. have both of those. So you can take both of those on the same team. Okay, so <laughs> well, so we all know what's happening. Oh, so, that's first, so silly. For, so, first tournament next year, all Hobgoblins, two Bull Centaurs, <laughs> the, the Black Gobbo, and the White Dwarf, and just. <laughs> I'd like taking Ramsar and Morgan the same team. There's, the fluff rarely gets in the way of the rules for Blood Bowl, but the one time we think it would, it would be these two mortal enemies sworn to kill each other at any site. Eh, they'll play on the same team, it's no problem. It's, <laughs> for the right fine. price. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Seems legit to me. Anyway. So uh, that's Kemri. I'm very happy. Yep, Kemri, good. And I don't think it breaks them. It puts them probably into tier two quite firmly instead of tier three, but it's a nice little Brucey bonus. I'm okay with that. Well, firstly, let's just be clear in terms of... Uh, you, you mean that in terms of the traditional four tiers rather than the three that GW yes. are forcing them into. We, GW have basically gone, 
Well, there's tier one, which are the good teams, and there's tier threes, <laughs> which are the stunties, and there's tier two, which is everything else. Yes, and of and course... The, and the that... current <laughs> gulf between some of the tier two teams is not even funny. Correct. Uh, and the fact and humans are tier one. Who'd have thunk? Right? <laughs> Weird. Uh, yeah. Humans are massively <laughs> tier one. Yeah. Like we've already said. We oh, have, they are yeah. now. Yeah, you're right. And uh, but what's I was talking about? Yes, the traditional one, which is all the fucking good teams tier one, all the really shit teams tier four stunties, and then you have things like Necro as tier two, and then you have things like Nurgle as tier three. Yeah. But, it's, it, it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically the you know tier, tier three is like Nurgle and arguably Kemri traditionally yes. and like and like corn you know it's it's those types of teams the they're, they're ones. The th- exactly yeah you can yeah. usually if a team the less block and dodge the team has usually the lower it is in the tiering that's generally speaking a good way to measure it if you can only take two block and no dodge you're probably tier three mate if you can't <laughs> take any you're in yeah. tier three <laughs> yeah <laughs> the more you can take that's why dwarves chaos dwarves amazons are all tier one funny that isn't it but uh Anyway, it's almost like it's the best skin of the game, those two. But, did you know, Games Workshop have actually created a special tier. Tier 5, we're going to call it. V for 5. V for Vampire. There's a special tier just for Vampire <laughs> teams, because they are now so astronomically oh, shit, they are going things. to do worse than Stunties, consistently. I, I, I was going to say, I don't think they're tier 5. They're about tier 500 at this point. Right. So, let's explain for folks at home who are just tuning in. So, Vampire teams, exactly the same, practically, with one very they're minor terrible. change. They don't have um, um, well, not t- they don't have bloodlust anymore. It's not a skill. Wow, they've lost bloodlust, but they've gained animal savagery. Yeah, that doesn't have. sound too bad. I hear you cry. Well, I'm afraid you're wrong. So animal savagery. The reason they've done this is because they don't have the bloodlust skill. So they thought instead of introducing a new skill, let's just reuse one of the skills we've got, which you can understand the logic of. However, the one they've chosen. Oh my god, it's so fucking bad. Oh, it's bad. Oh my poor. Va- I'm literally never taking vampires again because I want my 170 ranking to stay where it is. Thank you very much. Well, now I will say though, weirdly, this is one situation where they could have gone for actually revamping the team and this would be a perfect good pun (laughs) pun yeah this but this would be a perfect opportunity for them to reintroduce the zero to one vampire lord Mm. it would have been and that would have been quite nice yeah and it would i mean they would still have been shit but they would at least have been vaguely viable ish Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so let's talk about why this is bad Remember Bloodlust. Bloodlust before was, before you do anything, roll a d6. On a 1, you have to end your turn next to a thrall. If you don't, your vampire runs off into the pitch to feed on somebody. And if you do, then he'll munch on that thrall and you make a straight injury roll for them. That's basically it. So as long as you ended your turn uh, next to a thrall... But also, if they don't eat anyone, it's a turnover. Yes. yes. And, and, and in, es- in essence, Animal Savagery is the bastard son of Bloodlust and Wild Animal, but with the worst features of both correct so yeah what, that's a that's the right description i have it here in front of me the skill uh, i saw from a picture on twitter somewhere or something i had it saved because i'm a i, th- I think what can I, I say fair i'm fairly sure we may have we've discussed animal savagery in we have depth i believe and we yeah. dis- we each decided that it was in most situations rubbish because for example it makes rat hmm. ogres uh, almost unplayable on um on scaven teams, teams because yeah, you can't correct, afford yeah. for your own guys to hit your own guys uh, so what does it do it means you roll a d6 before you do any action on a 1, 2, or a 3, your teammate will lash out at his friends, and one standing adjacent teammate to your guy who's just failed uh, gets knocked down by the uh, by the big guy. 
or whoever's just failed. So <clears throat> you do have to make an armor roll and therefore an injury roll. So in theory, you're less likely to remove than you would do in Bloodlust. However, if you've got anything like Mighty Blow, Tackle, then you or whatever, Mighty Blow piling on, then your other opponent can choose to use it. Um, it's a 1, 2, or a 3, it fails. And then they, they can then carry on doing what they were doing. Uh, am I right in saying that? So hold on a sec. Um, or am I wrong in that, actually? Hold on. Yes, so once they fail it, once they knock down one of your friends, they can now continue their declared action if able. So that's, you know, they can still do their thing. And if you roll a block or a blitz, sorry, if you're using a block or a blitz action, you get to add two to it. So effectively, it's a two plus if it's a block or a blitz, or it's a four plus otherwise. Now, here's the downside. If you roll a four plus and therefore fail the test, uh, sorry, if you don't roll a four plus, then the player loses their tackle zones and they their turn ends. It's not turnover, but the player's action ends. So what does this mean? If I've got a vampire stood in the middle of no man's land and I want him to move somewhere else, I've got to roll a 4+. Plus. And if he fails that 4+, plus, he is not only staying where he is, but he loses his tackle zones. So he's been boneheaded, basically. Um, mm. I have to... Now it's a case of if I want to make sure my vampire does something reliably, I've got to make him start his turn next to a player. <laughs> Reliable vampire. Yes, well... The thing is, I like I love playing vampires, and I've had some success with them. I know foul ball was a joke, but I have had some marginal success with them in leagues and stuff as well. Um, and it's fun because it's all about managing the thralls and making sure there is a thrall in the right place so you can get your vampire in there. And it, the the trick was ending your action next to a thrall, which is quite hard to do, but you can do it with planning. Starting no, your turn next to a thrall is a lot harder. The yeah the 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 problem is. Um, it restricts vampires even more in terms of they were only really playable under yeah as you say under conditions where you knew where you were going to and you knew that at least if you failed your bloodlust you could change your destination mm -hmm. in essence you go okay here's where i want to go but if i fail bloodlust i'm going to go there instead yeah where whereas now that isn't an option and yeah, it, the thing is, vampires at least before, it was kind of like, well, it's a two plus, and let's be honest, we've all seen games where vampires go three or four turns and don't fail any bloodlust, and then the next turn, everyone fails bloodlust. Yeah, and oh, and that absolutely happens all the time. Yeah, and it's, it's Sorry, one Matt, of those still there. Like, you know what? If if they have a turn where everyone passes bloodlust, Mike, they were pretty good because they're all strength four and agility four. Oh, they're, they're still phenomenal. Yeah. If they if they Sorry. have a turn where they pass everything, excellent. Yeah. The trouble is they don't have those turns very often. No. <laughs> it depends well, depends if I'm playing against them or not. It was the the point was Fair. with with my experience, it was easier because everything was a two plus. There was always that string of events where as long as you don't roll a one, you're okay. You can make exactly, loads yeah. of dodges, mm -hmm. you can make passes, you can make pickups, you can make throws. So before for example, a two-up dodge, then a two-up pickup, then a two-up dodge, and then a two-up pass, then a two-up catch, then a two-up to score for the bloodlust. It was all two-ups. And now it's okay, yeah. I want to do a pass. Okay, firstly, roll a four-plus. If you fail that, fuck, you can't do anything. You're buggered. Okay, you've received the ball. Do you want to run into the end zone? All right, it's a four-plus. And it, the, the argument is it's more reliable in that if I've got a vampire six turns from the end zone and there is a thrall next to him, then he's definitely going to score. Because even if I fail, I can munch the guy, then move. So that's good. Okay, fair enough. But it is a lot harder to get to that situation. Because what I was saying before was, you can mitigate bloodlust by planning for it. Because you move your thralls into the right position, then you do your move, and then you end your turn next to your thralls. Okay, fair enough, I can do that. 
at the start of your turn, the first thing you're going to be doing when you move your turn marker is looking to see what your opponent has done. And if he has got to a position, he or she has knocked your thralls around and so your vampires are no longer touching your thralls, which is quite easy to do in many ways, you are going to have a turn of just having to roll four pluses and hoping for the best. And that's a shit situation because you cannot, you can't plan for that very well. What can you do, you know? It used to be a joke, hunting the thralls mm. is what you did against vampires, and it did work to an extent, but vampires could still function with a, few, with a small amount of thralls. They could bite the same one multiple times. In this case, you can't necessarily. If there's a vampire a thrall on the floor, you can't bite him anymore. And you have to start your turn next to him, otherwise you're fucked. And that's that, I think, is a huge, huge problem. I, I think, yeah, I think, like you say, Alex, because you could basically do everything on a 2-plus before, you could, you could ride your luck a little bit with vampires, and that was absolutely fine. And if it came off, it was fine. Because you're effectively rolling 4-pluses that's much much more difficult mm-hmm. you you are very unlikely to have a turn in which you don't knock at least two or three of your own thralls down yeah because don't forget yes it's an automatic knockdown it might not be an injury but it's an automatic knockdown and yeah. if somebody is on the floor then they don't count for the purposes of animal savagery you can't bite the same guy twice in one turn like you used and, to be able to yeah and that and that is a huge, 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 huge problem. Unless you stand him up again, so you can knock him down and stand him up. I guess multiple. You could do that maybe twice, but it's not the same. No, and you will. I I believe the wording on animal savage as well is um, your opponent does get to choose if you've got mighty blow to use it. Yeah. Yes, they certainly. And do. And I guess pile now, driver. And yes, yeah. p- pile driver. And yeah. I'm not sure about pile driver. That might be an interesting question because that involves placing a player prone. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah. Nor do I. That that would be an interesting, interesting one. To oh, watch. and it's only I mean, if it's one, on a blocker. One blitz. thing that is worth saying is that pro is better. So does that help at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no. Love How it. much better Come is pro? No. Uh, let's have a look. On a, it's a three plus one. Okay, fair enough. But it still means the best case scenario is you roll a four plus and fail, then you get to use, you roll it again on a three plus, it is, which is still yeah. shit. And that means now that vampire doesn't have block or dodge, which they would have needed first anyway. So I, I, I'm, it's a shame. I love vampires, and I, I am seriously concerned that this is going to ruin them, which oh, is a shame. Uh, Alex, you are hundred percent correct. They are no longer a viable team. I'd like to be proven wrong, um, but I can't see it happening in this case. Yes, you might by the dice be less likely to injure your thrall now but that's not what made vampires good or bad that that was kind of a side note it was managing the positions of the vampires related to the thralls and now you cannot do that because you have to respond you can't plan you have to just hope that your guys haven't been fucked by your opponent because against the, the people are joking now that the best vampire teams are going to have one vampire in and it's true one killer vampire so he can just keep doing the blitzing all day long and oh just i'm just not a big fan personally Pour one out for vampires. Folks at home, if I'm wrong, let me know. Because, uh, like I said, I'd love to be proven wrong on that one. But yeah, that was... Uh, oh, also, I forgot to mention, um, according to the most recent document, Kemri uh, anointed blitzers, they don't have general access anymore. They've got <laughs> they've got agility and strength on normals and agility and passing on, on secondaries. I mean, Alex, it means you can have <laughs> blodging uh, blitzers. It's fine. It does. I mean, I do, I'll do. i be honest, I'll, I'll miss tackle. <laughs> that was a nice skill I was able to take. <laughs> no, no more, sir. No more tackle for no you. No tackle for me. Okay, well, that's our experience of, uh, of Teams of Legends. Shall we have a quick break? Yes, let's, yeah. Let's have a quick yes, break. Yes, I think that's a, a good break. break. Right, okay. Now it's time for us to talk about No No Fear, the book club book that we were just talking about for 15 minutes. <laughs> 
but somebody wasn't recording on their side of the podcast. Isn't that For right, sake, Naz? Naz. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that immediately that was blamed. We could have just moved on. We could have been professional. We could have done, yes. No. No, could, absolutely could we, though, not. could we have just moved on? <laughs> There'd always be that slight, that treachery, that betrayal in our hearts. Quite similar, in fact, to the book. So we've got to, we've got to get these things out in the open and, and deal with them, or we're going to turn into friggin'... Horace Heresy levels of, of, of hatred here. So we've got to get it all and, and, let's, and let's be honest, we really did just spend like 10 minutes arguing about how many Ultramines there actually were in the region. So, <laughs> and that's actually What true. we decided is, as per an interview with Dan Abner, there are 250,000 at this point in the timeline. Okay, good stuff. So, let's rewind then. Horace Heresy. What is the Horace Heresy? I'll recap it all for you very quickly at home. Horace Heresy is when... The um, Horus Lupercal, one of the most prominent of the Primarchs, in fact the most prominent because he's now the War Master, effectively convinces around half of all Space Marines and their legions that the Emperor is a big wanker and we all need to kill him. So through a series of interest of, 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 of battles and, and specific events, the Horus Heresy goes from sneaky machinations to full-blown war within the Space Marine legions. This starts at Istvan 3 and Istvan 5, which happened about half a year before the events of this one. Um, it's not the first Space Marine or Space Marine fight, because you've got the burning of Prospero, as correctly said by the guys in the timeline that didn't happen. But this is where it gets really serious. And what Matt was saying is this is in the Warhammer 40,000 timeline where it all starts to kick off, shall we say. This is it kicking off. This is kicking off time. Yeah. Effectively, what's happening, the prelude to this, is the Ultramarines are hanging around one of their new planets, a nice massive planet called Kalth, which they're looking very much forward to integrating into their 500 Worlds of Ultra, making it one of the big capital planets of the system. They are congregating there. They're going to meet up with their good friends, the Word Bearers, and I say good friends, I say that in very heavy accents because they are one of the legions they've never really seen eye to eye with, uh, on the orders of Ho- Warmaster Horus, who said to them, meet up here, guys, team up and go beat up some orcs together and the idea being it's a political thing to bring these two chapters together in the spirit of unity and harmony and friendship towards all men oh isn't that nice they're gonna however by our it's gonna be great yeah yes unfortunately it all goes a bit wrong because unbeknownst to the ultramarines of which there are roughly 200,000 in this vicinity of the total 250,000 ultramarines at the time so a significant amount of them the word bearers are planning treachery and are intending to betray the Ultramarines and possibly kill all of them in one go, or at least the vast majority of them, meaning the biggest, most respected of the uh, loyalist chapters would be completely destroyed, which would help um, uh, help the traitor forces in their war against the Emperor. That's essentially the overall plot. And that is basically the whole plot as well, boiled down. That happens, and then the end. That's pretty much, you could sum it up quite quickly in that way. The back of it says, oh no, there's going to be treachery. And the plot is, there is treachery, and then the book ends. So you can sum it up quite quickly in that way. But There is treachery, and it is afoot. Yes, but the exciting part is all the small stuff that happens in the middle, and all of the uh, all of the characters and all of the events, and all of the significant events that if impact the timeline in a much larger way. That's what we like about these sorts of things. And of course, Dan Abnett writes a good action scene that he does. He certainly does. So, he knows what he's doing. How does this book start? Who wants to explain? Well, it kind of starts out in quite a friendly way, I would have said. It does. Yeah, so it's 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 basically the so fair warning, spoilers ahoy. Spoilers oh, yes. ahoy. Which if you haven't read the book, there are some really awesome moments and spoilers 
everywhere. So, yes, Awuka, spoilers. Uh, Basically, (laughs) it opens up with... Uh, a quote from Nietzsche, actually. No. <laughs> it's the first thing. Is it a quote from Nietzsche? No. The very first bit is um, a Nietzsche quote. <laughs> so there are... Most of the Horus Heresy books have uh, characters... So they're all, almost always interruptions between two legions, and so it tends to focus on characters who are already linked between those legions. So when you're dealing with... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of an, an example off the top of my head, and I'm really struggling. Okay, so uh, the Thousand and, Sons, and yeah. uh, you, you've got a wolf shaman. That's not the right word. Wolf priest who has gone off with the Thousand Sons. So you follow him because he understands the Thousand Sons. So they do that kind of thing a lot. The trouble is with the Ultramarines and the Wordbearers, there isn't really any crossover because of the burning of cultures, where the Ultramarines kind of did a little bit of genocide. Take a breath. Do we need to take a breath? It sounded like you said a lot of words then in a very small amount of time. I may have done. Okay, I shall start again more slowly. <laughs> Basically, there are these two characters that know each other and have some past history. One is a word bearer and one is an ultramarine. The one who is a word bearer stabs the ultramarine in the head. Actually, he shoots him with a plasma gun, I think, but the principle think, remains the same. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically he, 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 he does him a mischief. And there's just <laughs> this whole load of... Like, hello, Mr. Ultramarine. Have you thought that you could be in a precarious position? No, no, it's very good to see you, my old friend. Are you sure, though? I mean, that back, it looks awfully stabbable. No, I, whatever are you saying? What are you suggesting? Oh, look, there's a hole in my torso. And that's more or less the beginning of yeah, the book. Yeah, it, it pretty much is, yeah. It's, it's, it's not like... So it, what's interesting, and what I love about this book, straight from the off, one of the first things that you read is you read, uh, so in the very first chapter... It's a chapter one, and then it has in brackets Mark one three five negative one three six dot one five seven dot zero seven, and you go, yes, what's that all nice. about? So the whole point of this book is you know what's going to happen because it says on the back you know the Horace Heresy plotline, so you know there's going to be betrayal, you know there's going to be space freeze on space freeze. The fucking cover of the book of the version I've got has got Reboot Girly Man punching a word bearer in the face so hard his face explodes, so you know there's going to be space marine on space marine battle, right? So yes. what this book is great at is it. this is the big reveal, if you like, but it, it's known by everybody beforehand. So it says, okay, instead of telling you, you know, instead of the secret being the thing, it goes, I'm going to let you know exactly when it's going to happen. We're going to count down to it, and then we're going to see what happens from then onwards. So it's revealed quite early on that this system of having mark number, number, number is the Ultramarine's way of tracking uh, battles and when they start and when they finish. So the fact is... Once a battle begins, for example, in this case, the Battle of Kalth, they say, okay, begin Mark Kalth, which means now is zero, zero, zero. In 10 minutes' time, it'll be zero, ten, zero. This is the amount of time that has elapsed in this battle. So the fact that you've got negative time means yeah. that's how long until the battle is considered and, to and, have started. And the bit that I quite like is the fact that... So I, I've never been a fan of old Marines. We'll come back to this as a topic. Boo! <laughs> Boo on you, sir. No, I, I, uh, I yes, agree we'll with um, Naz, but we'll get into that in a minute. But... Uh, one of the things that they make clear, and I can't remember if this is the first time, or they have practical and they have theoretical. So the Ultramarines are consistently coming up with new theoretical, so it's a theory of combat. The whole point is they're attempting to be paragons of... Par- par- paragonical warriors? That's not the right phrase. Excellent. Paragons of combat. They want to know everything. They want to be the best. And then they have practicals, which is, okay, well, the theoretical is we're going to shoot that thing in the knee. The practical is, actually, that's not going to work, so let's go and do something else. Mm-hmm. I think is that kind of a good explanation, guys? If I kind of broadly call that. 
the I believe so, yeah. So they have these theoreticals and practicals. It's all very much in your head, and then it's what do you actually do? What do you do if the best case scenario? What are you actually going to do? And yeah. they are very much live by the book, die by the book. At least that's the impression you get of them when if you before yeah. you read this book. This way, I think anyway. And so the the whole time thing is is part of that. So firstly, it's a great way of ratcheting up tension because you know what's coming and you know how long you've got until something really big happens. Yes. And, and that's lovely. And uh, my... F- Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's also a nice character thing because the whole point is that that time is being counted because the Ultramarines want to uh, go back and analyse things. So they analyse things in relation to the start of a conflict. Yeah, it's very so much can... in keeping with them. Yeah. You wouldn't think that, they, for example, the Space Wolves or the Blood Angels would do the same thing. No. But you could also suggest that it's a bit of a spoiler. Because then, you wouldn't have that timestamp unless they won. Well, did they? Dot, dot, dot. Go on to yes. that in a minute. Well, but the, did they? Dot, well, the, dot, the, dot. Well, the thing, <laughs> the, the, the thing with the Horse Heresy books is it's the same thing as with the Star Wars prequels. As in, you know who's alive, you know what's going to happen, it's just how events transpire to get to that point. That's what I was trying to get at. The fact is, we know what's going to happen, don't we? You pretty yeah, much we, know roughly what's going to happen. So the, yeah, the, the, thing, the thing is, the we know exactly which legions were on Earth, we know exactly which Primarchs were on Earth, we know exactly what happens on Earth, we just don't know all the details around all the other bits, and that's what the yeah. Lord's Heresy is telling us, in essence. Yes, exactly. And um, there's some absolutely fucking phenomenal bits here. I just, where did I, oh, I, I can't believe I didn't mark it. I marked loads of bits. And um, so it, it describes the, the whole point of the mark, the mark system here. So, ah, here it is on page 18. So it talks about the, um, it talks about, there's lots of writings from Reboot Girlyman in it. I keep calling him Reboot Girlyman because I just think it's a funny way to call him. But I mean Reboot Girlyman, the Primarch of the Ultramarines. A lot of his writings about how war works and all the rest of it. And it talks about these marks it says about how that's when they start you know this is how they register when the battle starts and it says um here it is uh, blah 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 this proof of the loss of the campanile delivered to the primarch gulliman around mark 130 demonstrates calculation and planning on behalf of adversary and establishes what primarch gulliman refers to as preparatory phase of acquisition which refutes any claims that the conflict was born out of mistake or misadventure and then it says, this represents a precondition of malice on the part of his adversary, and strengthens Primarch's Gulliman's hand in that it removes any compunction to resist or fight back with full military force. And then it says, there is no longer any point in trying to reason with his brother, because his brother is not, in fact, mistakenly trying to kill him at all. And that, that line, <laughs> I thought, was awesome. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. The, not mistakenly trying to kill him at all. Oh, yes, what a good line. And Dan Abner is so good at peppering just these odd lines, and you just read it and go, that was a fucking cool page or a cool section. So, I think yeah. that he's also extremely good at uh, picking up on those little details, which we already know, but we don't know why. So in modern 40K, all of the sergeants have red helmets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, but why? we now learn where those come from, which is quite nice because it, at the beginning of the book, you've got this uh, you've got this trooper who has a red helmet and he's got a red helmet because that's a mark of, mark of censure. He's in trouble. And you sort of sat there going, but the red helmet is a mark of a sergeant and a veteran. So it's like, hmm, why is it a punishment? And it's quite mm. nice seeing the, the explanation of that and the story evolve around it to go, oh, well, that's where this has come from. That's why this has happened. Mm. It's it's a really nice little detail. Abner is it's, great at picking that stuff out. 
and the, and the thing is it's combined with in this book particularly these massive epic like things about spaceships crashing down out of the sky and like huge cruisers and battleships and you're like yep that's that's exactly what we're looking for and the i think the the thing about this one as well is unlike the um i can't but which book has got the actual drop site massacre in it uh, uh, that the third would one? be no, it's not the third one because no, the third is the uh, purging of flames. the traitor legions to get rid of the loyalists. The fourth is Fulgrim. The fifth is the no, fight fourth of Eisenstein. So it's going to be six or around. seven, maybe. It's early than that. Late. No, because hold on one second. Book one is Horus Rising. That's when Horus decides to be a baddie. Book two yeah. is False Gods, um, where no. I, I can't what happens. Book one is basically Horus as a good guy. Yeah, he doesn't. It's not until the very end of book one that he has. He basically gets the injury where they go, oh, yeah, the lodges are going to take over and we're going to sort it out. And then he comes out and it's like, oh, no, he's not good anymore. He's well, not a good mm. guy anymore. What we've got then is so book two is False Gods. So it's got maybe it's, maybe it's that one. I don't know. Book three is Galaxy in Flames. I'm pretty sure it's Galaxy in Flames. Because Galaxy, it, no, no. Galaxy in Flames is when they're purging because it ends with Loken fighting against. Is it? Uh, his brothers Cause yeah. well, after Galaxy in Flames it goes Flight of the Eisenstein which is not because I've not read that one and I know about the Istvan stuff I've read that then it goes Fulgrim could be a Fulgrim I guess then it goes to Scent of, then it goes to Scent of Angels which is not then it goes Legion which it's not then it goes Battle for the Abyss which it's not then it goes Mechanicum which it isn't then it goes it's a short story collection which it isn't then it's Fallen Angels which it's not then it goes A Thousand Suns which again it's not then it goes Nemesis which I don't know which one that one is it's not that either then it goes The First Heretic and we're on book 14 now then it's Prospero Burns, which we know it isn't. Then it's Age of Darkness, which it isn't. The Outcast Dead, which it isn't. Deliverance Lost, which I don't think it is. And then No No Fear, which is here. So I've, it's got to be one of the early ones, surely. It looks, no, no, it looks like a lot of it is actually in Fulgrim. Oh, it's Fulgrim, is it? Okay. okay. I think so, yeah. Looks like it, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, I know because I know I've read it, and I, think, I knew it was earlier on. Because I know there are a lot of short stories that take place as well. Yeah. Uh, oh, the, yeah. Because it's because Fulgrim and Ferris Manus were friends. That's right. Yeah. They're, it, they're it, brothers, it, so it, it, it covers it off it that there. stuff. Yeah. But, and, I mean, but it only really does it from the Iron Ma- Iron Hands perspective, I think. So correct, things like yeah. uh, so it's not until Deliverance that you get the Raven Guard perspective, and it's not until Vulcan, Vulcan lives that you get the Salamander's perspective. Correct. Yeah. And it's but the thing is, the the Drop Site Massacre is is the the first big battle. But it's one where you absolutely know that the loyalists are going to lose because it's so, it's so lopsided. Yes. Well, I'm calling it a battle is probably a bit grandiose. Except they still manage to get some really interesting surprises through. Oh, they. The thing is, they do, but they are they are destined to lose that. Whereas this one is, yeah, the the events covered in No No Fear are a little bit more in the air because even though, because basically it's not quite as black and white of you know it's completely one-sided it's a lot more there's all these epic things going on but the ultramarines are giving as good as they get even though it yes un- it's unfavorable combat rather than suicidal combat mm. yes although to begin with it is essentially uh it's a shooting gallery and i think that's yeah, explicitly oh, it how it's yeah, and, and, yeah and it's and that that is covered off pretty well with all these epic things going on mm. but there's one one or two of the kind of epic battle things where you're mm. like 
oh, okay, the ultra means do this, and suddenly the thousand suns get kicked in the face, sort of thing. So, so I think, yeah. I think the, the the what the book does, you've got a great bit of tension, which is lovely, yes. yeah, and there's this brilliant sense of powerlessness that comes from the first act. So yeah. there is an event that happens in space, we'll call it a MacGuffin, which basically <laughs> renders the ultramarine defense is completely useless i mean they were already pretty useless because they kind of switched off some of them uh, because you know they've got friends around but they're just rendered completely useless all of the ultramarine ships are off and what the uh word bearers do is they just walk through the shipyards going you're dead and you're dead and you're dead and they just they just blow up ship after ship after ship and there is and that that as far as i'm concerned is the single best scene not the space combat but the Detritus falling to Earth. Yes, it's the yeah. let's aim yeah. the spaceship at the planet and send it off on full speed and just see what happens. And what's quite good is so we're talking about the the mark. Oh no no, I didn't mean that bit. Oh, didn't you? I mean well, this is just... I mean the ultramarine vessel slowly falling backwards into the planet. Yes, well, yes. that comes yeah. just shortly after the the, mm. the bit I was talking about, which is again, which is my favourite bit. It's it's again the okay. sense of powerlessness and the scale you get. So you don't you hear space battles, you see spaceships in the sky. You rarely see the two mixing, so you don't often you hear orbital bombardment. But yes, it, there's the great scene where the so the whole mark of Kalf, the timeline that runs through it, is used as a narrative device in so many good ways. And there's one point where effectively, I think it's at 18:30, 18 minutes and 30 seconds, where there's a whole chapter where the mark never changes. You see the exact same event from about 50 perspectives, and it yes, is when yeah. the big spaceship is pointing at the planet and goes off, smashes through all of these millions of other ships and all these dockyards and collapses with the planet. And you see the time not shift at all, and you realise that all that stuff happened in literally two seconds of actual time. And then you see the aftermath from everyone's perspective of all the explosions and all of the the um, seismic activity, and oh, it's fantastic. It's such a good way of representing that. Fucking love it. And... So when you're talking about the whole the helplessness bit, that's quite a typical Dan Abnett thing I found. If you, I found it happens a lot in the um, Gaunt's Ghost book and pretty much all of his books. There's always a big battle and it always looks like the goodies have got absolutely zero chance in hell of winning. And then, yeah. then it gets worse and then it gets worse and then they win. <laughs> that's usually what happens in Dan Abnett books. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of yeah. fine, you know, that's what you want really, isn't it? But, it's, but the thing is, it's told so well that you totally forgive it. So. Yes. I still like yeah, the absolutely. description that Dan Abnett's such a good writer that even his shopping list brims with cinematic suspense. <laughs> he, yeah. Which is true. Yeah. He just He's one of those writers that you can just read him for... Well, you, you can read too much Dan Abnett in one short go and eventually you, you do notice things he does and they can stick out. But it's the same with anything. If you do anything too much, you'll start to go... Oh yeah, if you read too much sharp, you, you know what's coming in every single book. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah and, and also, can I just say, I do I do love the fact that uh, you basically get, you know, Rupert Gilliam, who basically gets blasted out into space and then just punches his way back onto the spaceship oh. in the vacuum of space because he's such a fucking badass. Well, that's why I meant on the cover. You see it. You look at it. And if you know enough about space marines, you go, that's some red space marines fighting some blue space marines. That blue one on the cover is bigger than the rest. I wonder if that's yeah. Rupert Gurley, man. I've never seen him in fighting before. And then, you, yeah, it turns out, yes, it is, because he just turns up at one point, and as you say, he just punches the Space Marine's face off in space. Yeah. And you go, this is awesome. 
because yeah, that- and it's uh, and, I, and I love the fact that it's like yeah he's not wearing a helmet but he's a Primark he survives vacuum and yeah he got blasted <laughs> into vacuum of space and he just came back and punched his way right back onto the yeah. ship and what they do is they, <laughs> they reference that so they um someone just goes what a Primark in space with no helmet and he just sort of goes yes and then they carry on it's not just like yeah. it's not like a gaping plot hole where you read it and go well that's stupid they just acknowledge well, no, they, it and go yeah so let's the just move on the argument they go with is the fact that the ship is so massive because the ship is tens of kilometres long <clears throat> That it has such a mass that it does actually have a small atmosphere. Interesting. I mean, I don't know enough about science. I'll have to ask a rocket scientist or a space person. But oh, I'm just happy that he's, I don't care, he's a Primarch in space. He could yeah. do anything. And he'd just be like, that's because I'm a Primarch. And I'd go, that's so cool. And that's the thing. Ultramarines typically have had a bad rap because they are the poster boys. They are the goody two-shoes. They are the, the emotionless, personality-less, boring space marines that everybody knows are completely uninteresting. And yet, they're, this book makes them cool. The thing is, okay. yeah, they, are, they are the vanilla marines who save the universe, basically. Ah, uh, Okay, so it's at this point that I need to raise my main criticism. Okay. Go on, then. Uh, I'm going to disagree with this in advance. <clears throat> Go for it, Mike. <laughs> so... I'm not denying that it's a very good book. I enjoyed reading it very much. Dan Abnett writes very few bad books. However, one of my measures of uh, a Horus Heresy book is by how much I want to collect the army afterwards. <laughs> That's an okay. expensive measure. So if I, well, so far, I've resisted, apart from the odd model here and there. I do mm-hmm. have a Space Wolves kill team. Anyway, um, so Flight of the Eisenstein, I absolutely want to do Death Guard. Ooh, um, Death Guard, yeah. If we're talking about any of the... Like, I, I want to do... I'm, I'm always loyalist, but I want to do Loyalist, loyalist World Eaters because um, that is one of the best books. The the, the book on Angron, whose name I've completely forgotten, but he, yeah, Betrayer. Betrayer is just phenomenal. I loved Betrayer. Um, again, if I look at something like, well... Let's face it, Battle for the Abyss, that doesn't make me want to do anything other than cry. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, likewise, I loved Dark Angels, and yet Descent of Angels actively makes them run away from them. Like, I love Dark Angels, and it's so bad that I have to go away from them. This makes me think, yeah, all right, they're kind of cool, but now I'm good. I think uh, while I sort of... I, I mean, I disagree with the collecting thing because i don't think that's that's part of it certainly for me i do think that this is kind of a sideshow to the main event but is it yeah what do you mean by the main event because yeah because this this is basically they're trying to kill the primark and basically keep the ultramarines out of the fight and they fail in both but it kind of doesn't matter because we already know that neither Gulliman or the Ultramarines are going to have any impact on the Battle of Earth. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure I agree with that statement. Now, well, it, uh, now it's it's hard for me to answer that without spoiling books which happen further along. Let's not do that uh, just but yet. There are, there are definitely books which suggest the Ultramarines have a larger role to play in the Horus Heresy than we believe. Uh, that's technically true. Yeah, that's not technically true. That is absolutely true. I don't well, actually. I don't know where you are in the series. You might, but, shall we yeah, focus on the book in hand before yeah. we? Because we could do the whole. We could do the whole Horace Heresy of the book club. We could get all the way through it. It'd be something else to do. Oh wouldn't it? God, I might die. 
uh, we, don't you got, think you got through there Descent are some of Angels, books I mate. just can't read again. You, d- you got through Descent of Angels. You can do it. You can get through anything. You um, haven't read some of these books. Think, whenever I hear the title, <laughs> whenever I hear the title "Flight of the Eisenstein" or "Battle for the Abyss," I think they sound really cool. But what one of everybody those says is really, really awesome. Matt, "Flight of the Eisenstein" is fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. is it? Okay. Uh, yes. And as for the abyss, let's just draw a line under it and not bother reading it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but let's go back to the book in hand, just because I know we could talk yeah. about the Horus Heresy all day. We it's a lot to talk about. And we um, probably will. The point is, yes, Ultramarines... What I love about this book, and I guess a lot of the 30k setting ones do, Ultra, um, having played Death Watch, the problem with Space Marines is they are relatively uh, emotionless. They are relatively plain. Compared to, for example, a normal Imperial Guardsman, they are very mm. much, I am robot, I will kill for the Emperor, blah, 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 blah. You know, you can roleplay a Space Marine quite easily. But They're even, basically paladins. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. This is when they were they had a lot more going for them in terms of their individual characters. And what I love is, although they are all ultramarines and they all have the same virtues and they all have the same ideas, each of the different characters, well, most of the different characters, are still unique enough and still show these extra bits of character, like humour, like concern, like fear, like have all these emotions behind them. And that's what I liked seeing. I liked it when Reboot Gurleman cracks a joke and they all laugh along with him. Or he... um. Or they, they start talking about something they're concerned about. I love the the perspective of the of the dreadnoughts because they are they go from the perspective of, of a recent dreadnought, someone who's just been made into a dreadnought, a young space marine relatively, and all the fears and worries he's got because now he's a dreadnought, he doesn't have the same control over his body. He has these emotions he's not used to, and having that internal dialogue really creates this new perspective on space marines that I really enjoyed. Because they're not just, I will kill for the Emperor, I'm an angel of death. It's a case of, I'm stuck in a box, and I'm fucking terrified of what's about to happen, but I'm going to put on a brave face because that's what all the other Dreadnoughts want me to do. And I absolutely love that perspective of the Ultramarines. I think it's, it's phenomenal. You wouldn't see Space Wolves doing that, you wouldn't see Blood Angels doing that, but Ultramarines, no. I can see that happening, and I've seen it, and I read it and go, I really, really enjoyed connecting with that Dreadnought, which I never thought I'd say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what, exactly what you mean. I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I might be, I might, I might be, bl- I might be ranting a bit in my own way. I go off well, on no, one no, sometimes. And, and one of the things I find interesting as well is that I love the Imperial Fists, and as far as I can tell, the Imperial Fists are basically Ultramarines that are just really good at standing still. Aren't they Ultramarines yes. from Mexico? Which is why they all have Mexican names. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Aren't they? They're all called like Gabriel Sanchez, and like they, they are called stuff like that, aren't they? Am I right? Yeah, kind, kind of. Or am I thinking of Crimson yeah. Fist? All the same. There is they? some racial stereotyping well, when it's, you get into these things. If they're like, if they're like having burritos or something, wearing sombreros, then we have to start worrying. But I'm pretty sure it's it's just the names, isn't so, it? So, what are their names? Right? Can can we? This is slightly aside, but are we generally agreed that Firefly is the one that did the future the best in terms of how how society might actually look? Because oh, it depends how far forward tell, you go. No, no, because okay. So, so the, I, I should go into why, a little well, yeah, detail explain. about what I, mean, what I mean. Right. So, so the, I the thing is, Firefly is awesome. Yes. I have it, but I have issues with Firefly. Oh no, controversial. <laughs> well, no, no. Right. So, Firefly is fucking great, and maybe they would have got to this, but it's the fact that they all speak Mandarin, but there are no Chinese people in space. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's pretty horrendous. I'd not looked at it in those eyes. If, those eyes. But no, what, neither, neither, neither would I until someone pointed out, and I was like, "No, but there's." And I'm like, "Oh, oh no, oh, shit!" No. Yeah. 
Explain what you mean, Naz, by when you say it is the best explanation of what happens. So it... See, Matt's just ruined this for me. Sorry. Damn it, Matt. Is it the amalgamation of cultures? It it was. It's the fact that when you look at things, you've got a mix of different cultures. And it's... I'm not saying it's done perfectly, and in no way am I an expert, because let's face it, white, male. But (laughs) it's... It feels like, and Blade Runner kind of goes down the same road for this as well. That so it's, it's not a bad comparison, yeah. It's 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 attempting to create a hybrid culture, and what what's going to happen when you've got crossover, and and, it, and it's all great. But in forty k, you have here is a Viking planet. Here is a Roman planet. <laughs> it does. I do. Yes, you know what you yeah. are about, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's kind. That's kind of fair. Yeah. Here that's is fair Vietnam, enough. the planet, but it's not populated by Vietnamese. It's populated by Americans. It's, it is very much like you. You don't have distinct cultures within a world, really. You do have the world has its own singular culture. It happens with they, um, they, the uh, the the uh, Imperial Guard regiments as well. This is the oh, Russian planet. <laughs> this yeah. is and the they, posh they people planet. A little bit here and there, but not really. I I don't know. It just it's one of those things that when I stop and think about think stop and think about it, it bugs me. And then generally, I can just let it go because like, okay, like I get where this is coming from. I know why it's happened. It's just. Mm. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I I agree, and sorry to ruin Firefly for you. <laughs> but, yeah, I haven't ruined it. I'm still going to enjoy it. But yeah. it's still, that, again, like that's say, another discussion it's, it's we can have. Still great, but it is one of those when you think about it, you're like, uh, you know, yeah. Willing suspension of disbelief. In some okay. ways, that makes it more authentic because it's basically well, it is not basically it is a Western in space, and let's face it, Westerns were uniformly white, but actually, a good fifty percent, probably eighty percent of cowboys were not white. I've seen Shanghai yes, Noon. Okay, true. I know that's not the case. Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights. What a what a great pair of films. Have you seen Shanghai Noon, <laughs> M- M- Naz? Do you know what uh, we're talking about? I have seen Shanghai. I don't think I've seen Shanghai Nights. I've seen Shanghai Noon. I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm conscious of time and I've got things I want to talk about. So I'm going to bring this back to the book if that's all right. Book in hand. Yeah, that, that's fine. I think this um, is a good move and we can get distracted another time. So yeah. I have made lots of notes for particular things, of particular sections of the book. I always fold the corner over for things I, w- I want to either discuss or just say, this bit you was fucking awesome. You fold the corner over I know. in books. Look, it's you a, fucking philistine. It's a sign honestly. of love, okay? I'm sorry, I'm with, with Matt. Post-its at, at, at worst. Well, what can I say? Uh, I'm a heathen you may barbarian. As well burn the book as well, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I'd like to burn a copy of Prospero Burns just to see if it does. <laughs> Anyway, so the first section, like I said, the negative, the mark is is a very cool narrative tool and there's many ways it's used throughout the book. And in fact, my favourite one is at the end. The fact is they mention um, the mark of Kalth, which is the tractor to see if the battle is still running. Um, It says the mark of Kalth continues to run while word bearers still live. It is still running now. I think that's very cool. Um, Mm. But, 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 but. So there's a great section. So bearing in mind, this is before... Space Marines have fought Space Marines really, apart from Prospero. In most cases, it's, it's really the first time Ultramarines have fought Space Marines or yeah. will be fighting Space Marines. They the are surprised to be fighting. Is, hey, they're surprised to be fighting. Yes. So yeah. the very very yeah. beginning, we see Lucille, who's a Ultramarine, uh, bump into a, an old world word bearer friend, and friend is the keyword called a Sarotshur. And in the nanosecond that he sees him, so he walks around, eventually this door opens and he sees him. He analyzes all the different moves he could do to protect himself, to attack this foe, to 
you know, overcome him. And this is just an instinctive thing after one second of seeing him. And then straight away, after he's had all these thoughts about, I could fire over here, which might mean this, which do this, then I could bend this way, then I could draw this weapon. And then after that nanosecond, he goes, oh, hello, mate. And they have a, they hug and they talk about, you know, good times. Mm. So I love that. Yeah that page of just what runs through an ultramarine's mind constantly and what's interesting is throughout the book you hear about this guy called Thiel who's this sergeant with a red head who we know as yes, Naz said yeah. is marked for censure and it's always toyed with what's, what is he being marked for and it turns out he's been marked for running theoreticals which effectively are simulations and what ifs against fighting space marines which is considered effectively heretical because the whole point is how dare you think about fighting space marines because we are space marines and we will never fight space marines because we're all best buddies and so it's what's cool what i like about this is the idea is that is a thought that is latent in all of the ultramarines heads so this guy here who just met his friend is still thinking about what he would do if he did have to fight him but never actually says it out loud. And the one who does say it out loud gets in loads of trouble for it. But it's still a thought in his head for this other guy. And I really liked that idea. It's pretty great, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that, was, that, was, that was the first cool thing I marked. Um, and uh, moving on. What have we got here? So, um, ah, Dan Ablett likes to sprinkle things in his books that are references to other things in the fluff. And some of them are things which you will only understand if you are big into the fluff. So... What did you all think of the of Trooper Ol? Did you pick up who he was? Uh, Ophius Paul, the uh, the trooper who theoretically distracted Horus on the uh, battle barge and let the Emperor uh, basically kill Horus. Exactly. So I did this... not pick up on that. That's interesting. So and the way you do it is so he calls himself he calls himself Ol O L L, um, and you hear later on his full name was Olanius. And you hear that this he's got this servitor who calls him Trooper Person. And then later on, because he's it turns out he's this perpetual, he's this like ever living whatever. Mm. But the point is And the perpetual uh, very awesome, incidentally. Yes. So he's very um he's very religious. Not God Emperor, not that he talks about his God, singular. Mm. And uh, he says here, all the other people in the village laugh at him, they call him Pious. And the full name of the trooper who distracts Horus, Olanius Pius. So when you read that, when you read that, I was like, "Holy shit! This is the this is the guy. This is the guy who distracts Horus on the on the on the ship, which lets the Emperor do it." And that's sprinkled in. It's it's sort of referenced a bit later on. It all gets a bit weird, but that is a very cool little treat for people who are into the fluff a lot. Like um like Matt, as as you picked it up as well, you're like, "Oh yeah, I know who this guy is." And it's cool seeing those references because the problem with that particular fight is the idea is Horus has just struck the Emperor down and he's about to do the killing blow. Um, and then a, a person walks up to Horus, a random normal Imperial Guardsman, and says, you're a dickhead. And in that minor distraction, the Emperor can kind of get his revenge. But that's been retconned yeah. a couple of times. So it went from an Imperial Guardsman, meant to be the symbol of the everyman, standing up to the greatest horror the universe has ever known. He got changed into a Space Marine, which is less impressive. Then he got changed into an Adeptus um, the Custodes, which is even less impressive, because, you know, whoa, what a big surprise, the Adeptus yeah. Custodes stands yeah. up to Horus. And now he's brought it back again, so I'm very happy he's done that. That's very cool. Mm. It, yeah, it basically changed to uh, no one knows kind of thing. Mm. But at least it's not Space Marine anymore, because that's less... Cause the whole point of the 40k universe is it's the every man fighting against the horrificness of the unknown universe. And when it's like Space Marines, it's cooler than that, but it's, it's nice being able to identify with the schmuck. And that story of a normal dude standing up to Horus was always the coolest story. So I'm glad it's a normal person again. What yeah, else have I got yeah definitely. I mentioned, I folded over a page about Reboot Girly Man talking about how great he is at doing um, doing logistics and stuff. And it's again those little bits of personality where there's this new chapter master 
who doesn't quite know that Reboot uh, completely understands everything that happens everywhere. And he goes, um, oh, I need to tell you about the ship that I've got. And Reboot just goes, yeah, I know about it. It's this thing. It's got not enough, not enough petrol. It needs to go refuel over there. It needs to pick up this guy here and this guy's on the crew. I know about everything that's going on. And it's these little bits of interesting kind of insight into how it works. That's, that's quite it, cool. It's, it's pretty great. I do like it, yeah. Uh, where was this bit here? So, oh, I had one problem with... So I'm big on names. And I couldn't help but... So, the the captain who survived to the very end and is still fighting to this day. Everyone, anyone who mm-hmm. knows his name? Anyone remember his name? Begins with a V. If you don't remember uh, it... I'll the t- only V I can come up with is Ventress. Ah, well, he's yeah. he's actually called... <laughs> I'm guessing it's meant to be pronounced Ventanus, but I kept on reading it as Ventanus. Every time his name came up, I'm like, oh, it's Captain Vent Anus. And I can just think of someone venting an anus. So that, I mean, come on. Surely you could have picked a different, you know, is that just me? To me, that maybe it's just me. I couldn't help it. For some reason, that was me. Uh, that was that was something I kept on thinking about. Uh, if I, can I have... think that might be a, a Latin thing. Uh, I'm trying to remember what Ventanus is. Is it a sword? I don't know. Well, I wouldn't want to be Mighty Space Marine Vent Anus because that would be a shit name for be a Space Marine. That was just me. And every time I read it, I read uh, Oh, no, it means window. Oh, well, there we are. I knew I knew it was Latin, but I couldn't remember what it was. Uh, I liked the bits when Reboot was talking to uh, Lorgar. That's quite interesting. When they're having arguments. Because that's the Primarchs are always the most exciting characters in many ways. And they seeing them interact is brilliant. Uh, yeah, I've got to say, while um, while he was kind of putting everything together and Lorgar was just, like, ignoring his hails and then finally he just goes, look, I know you're trying to kill us all. And Lorgar goes, ha, 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 yes, I am. Yes. And it's like, yeah. It's, it's basically, it's like, yep, I'm going to ignore you. And it's like, yep, you're completely right. I'm now going to attack you with demons. Yes. And that's a great bit. There's a great bit when that reveal happens because Lorgar starts shouting at him and he starts using words like practical and theoretical. He's like, yeah. come on, Reboot, you can put two and two together. Theoretical, what am I doing? Practical, what am I about to do? And that was awesome. And you can just yeah, it's, see... it's pretty great. And that's when Reboot basically goes, hmm, I'm usually very calm and very collected, but I'm just going to go rip his tongue out and shove it up his ass." I, I, I loved it when he was <laughs> doing that bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was very cool. Also, my question I've got is, I don't know the timeline well enough to know when demons turned up. So I didn't think demons were, and chaos was a big thing yet. I knew it was sort of on the no, fringes, so, but this is full so on this demons. Is all to do with the word bearers. This happens in the Battle for the Abyss, I think. Uh, okay. I think so. It, it happens fairly early on, I think. But it, yeah. it basically goes back to word bearers suck because they're responsible <laughs> for the whole heresy. And they, it's just them dabbling with stuff they shouldn't have been dabbling with. They were really stupid. If they hadn't done that, it would have been fine. Oh, yeah. well. P- p- pretty much exactly that, yeah. If wishes were fishes, would all cast nets. Which is probably somewhat underwhelming compared to uh, betraying the galaxy, but there we go. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> what else we got? Ah, oh, this is the. I, I, I put the at the corner of the page where Gulliman turns up. Because he's been vent- basically the ship explodes, or there's like demons or whatever, and he gets chucked yes. into space. And we don't know if he's alive or dead. Obviously, he's alive because he's a Primarch. But it's the bit where Thiel is fighting um, some word bearers who are attached themselves to the end of the ships, and then he's about to get killed, and then Gulliman just just arrives, and Omar days. So it's so good, yeah. 
Yeah, that's just goes, Hello, and then, oh, 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 it's good. And then when I read that page, I had to look at the cover again because it was just such a cool... I actually really like the cover of this. It's quite mm-hmm. animated, but I think it does it well. Um, so that was fucking awesome. What else? What else? Skip, skip, skip. Got near the end. The more I got to the end, the more pages I folded over because more exciting stuff happened. The problem is when <laughs> I, I realised, as I was reading this book through... Um, I started skimming the end because I wanted to make sure I read all of it before today and I got sidetracked. And the problem, the only downside with Dan Abner is sometimes you do have just inconsequential battles. So I was able to skip almost entire chapters because it was just fighting happened, nothing really changed for a while. But it was cinematic, so I guess that's the important bit, isn't it? Yeah, uh, he's, is he's it? quite good at that stuff. I loved how there's the two, um, the, the very small love story between the two uh, servitors, the two Magos. That was that was interesting because you don't normally see a human element. Yes, and he's done a whole yeah. Mechanicus series, and it's all the similar sorts of things. He's very much human servitors. So whenever he has a servitor in his books, they tend to speak. They have emotions sometimes, not all of them, mm. but they have that human element, and that's it's nice to see that. And yeah, so there's these um there's the one at the beginning who dies, and the the, the male one and the female one who clearly loves him. Um, he says, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's her birthday. So he's got like a secret password to get into something. And it turns out it's her birthday because that's when he, he remembered it. And that's what he uses as a password, which I thought was quite sweet. Mm. Uh, well, I agree. Cool. I really like that. That was a nice touch. Yeah, it's nice. There's the bit where, um, again, this is what I quite liked. It's quite gross, but I liked it. It's when they teleport onto the, onto the word bearer ship to kick, some shit, kick the shit out of them. And some of the ultramarines are effectively materialized in the walls. So they are mm. in some sort of agony. And yes, yeah. the fact that Gulliman just one of his ultramarines is is fused with the wall in a way that's incredibly painful, and um, Gulliman just walks over to it and just kills him. He just goes because he's in pain, and this, this it's the quickest way to do it, mercy killing. And the fact he just walks over to one of his own guys and just like squashes his head and just goes, "All right, let's move on." I thought that was it was it was interesting because it was it was again the sort of cutthroat nature of Gulliman, but in an, a kind of compassionate way, which I really liked. The, the sort of the the kind of ultimate pragmatism. Yeah. Just like, yep, yeah, this is this is slowing up the mission, so let's just crack on with it. But it says here, Gulliman cradles his head and kills him quickly to end his suffering. It's just nice. To, I don't know. I just quite liked seeing that. It was that kind of wanting to make sure the mission is done, but also wanting to make sure his guys don't suffer needlessly was was a nice touch. I liked yeah. seeing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved how Thiel was the one who was in trouble, and when he was in trouble, he thought, "Well, I'm in loads of trouble now, so I might as well get in more trouble." And starts playing with the weapons. <laughs> so that's quite a cool bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's yeah. that's that's actually a really good uh, theory of theoretical versus practical. I think that's a very good illustration of that. So mm. he's in trouble. He doesn't. He it's not really said why he's there, but it's he sort of turns up for his his punishment. He's like, "Okay, so I'm here. I'm here to be told off." And like, "Nope, you need to go wait there. The Primarch's going to deal with you." And he's like, "Oh." I may have cocked up here. And he sort of sat there surrounded by Gulliman's uh, weapons collection because he's just got all of these really, really nice swords and axes and everything else. He just sort of sat there going, these things are really cool. I'd really like to play with one of these. And there's just, <laughs> yeah. this, there's just this theoretical, practical thing of, well, I'm in trouble. I'm in enough trouble that I'm being told off by the Primarch anyway. Meh, might as well have a go on the swords. Yeah, might as well have a bit of a play. That's really cool. But I thought that was a really nice way of looking at the uh, at that theory practical thing. Mm-hmm. Mm, no, you're right. I also loved in that scene when when the Primarch forgets he's there and it goes into his room and goes, "Oh yeah, I forgot you were here." And then he sort of goes, "Please don't tell anybody I forgot anything, because <laughs> that'll be really bad for my reputation." 
Oh yeah, because he he does follow up with something like, oh, "It's a long time since I've forgotten something." Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I'll deal with you later. Don't tell anyone about this, all right? <laughs> Which I thought was brilliant. Um, it's pretty good, yeah. What else we got? Ah, oh, oh, this bit here. So this bit is when Reboot turns up and all these guys teleport onto this ship, the Werebearer ship, and that's the point. And they do this reference again in Fulgrim, uh, in the Istvan massacre. It's when normal space marines suddenly have to fight a Primarch. And basically, the space marines shit themselves, and it's, it only happens once or twice. And it's a mm-hmm. case of when the word bearers suddenly realise we're about to fight the best warrior in the galaxy, probably, and we are going to lose. And they say, um, "Here it is." Uh, the word bearers on the upper structure see him coming. They are kill squad strength at least, the best part of a full company. At least a proportion of them are the vaunted Gal Vorback elite. But they see him coming, and they and they know what that means. It doesn't matter what cosmic dementia has corrupted their minds and souls. It doesn't matter what eternal promises the dark gods are whispering in their ears. It doesn't matter what inflated courage the warp has poured into their veins, along with the madness. Gulliman of Ultramar is coming right at them, to kill them, to kill them all. Even though they stand a chance of hurting him, they waste it. They balk. For a second, their twisted hearts know fear. Real fear. And then he has them. Ah, oh, fucking hell, it's good. And um, it's great, it, yeah. the same thing happens at Istvan. So when the loyalist marines realise suddenly that they are being attacked by the traitor marines, they start fighting back, the Death Guard, the um, World Eaters and all the rest of it. And there's a point where they're looking like they're going to do all right. And then Angron just drop, drops down from somewhere, lands in the middle of it and just stands there and like starts to stand up. And all the space marines, all the loyalist ones look at him and they fucking run. Because <laughs> it's not like they're trying to tactically <laughs> withdraw. They actually run because they are scared. And I, I, it's, it's, again, it's humanising them. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, I'm nearly done. <laughs> Don't worry, I've only got two bits left. No, I, I was actually going to comment on something else that happens elsewhere, which is you. Uh, there is a moment where uh, all of the Primarchs are supposed to have a an honour guard mm-hmm. of uh, Space Wolves. They're all supposed to have one. Oh, uh, it, it happens, I think it happens after the Council of Nikea. Because it's it's all to do with well, if Magnus has broken the rules, then they should all have an honor guard. And there is a scene in which the honor guard just attempts to kill a Primarch because you know the Primarch has turned his back on the Emperor, and it's great. Mm. Is that is that Conrad Kurz? Uh it might be. It might be. I remember him doing something. But it's but it's interesting for two two reasons. One, space walls kick ass; they are mm. great. But secondly. Primarchs are not invincible to ordinary space marines. Correct. But normal space marines are scared of Primarchs, which is brilliant. Because I mean, they're not, they're not, they don't find them a comfortable thought. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, the, yeah, the, th- the thing is, because they, I, I think they mention this in a number of, like, Black Library sources, but it's basically they're like, yeah, um, a, a space marine to a Primarch is as a normal human to a space marine, basically. Mm. As yes. in, they don't really stand much of a chance, but if like a hundred of them mobbed him, yeah, they, they'd probably do okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, again, there is a... Okay, again, avoiding spoilers, but let's just go with there's some awesome stuff that happens in some of these books. I'm not even going to name the book because I think that would be a spoiler in and of itself, but there are some the, great stuff that happens. The, the, yeah, there's a few awesome things when uh because c- they kind of go the same thing with the um the adeptus custodas don't they as well 
where they're like oh they yeah, do yes they're, they're, I they're, that. yeah that's right mm. um the last bit I've marked there's a cool bit when oh so Rabu, uh, from what I remember from the fluff Gulliman gets stabbed by a something and then is kept in a rock to heal isn't he that's the whole point of him yes he is um, and this you see him getting stabbed by this special dagger which they use these ritual daggers and I suppose I presume that's the beginning of the end for him um of course he comes back again you know later but whatever uh so there's the bit where the mark is being used again to mark how long it's been since the battle started and there's a point where it suddenly jumps to mark 219,479 so that's we, we did the maths it's about 24 years later and the fight is still going on from the perspective of the characters there and then the very last bit saying mark unspecified while word bearers still live in the madness of the maelstrom or in the depths of the warp the mark of Kalth will continue to run it is running now that's, it, that's a fucking cool way to end this book Yes, yeah. yeah. Suggesting that no matter what happens, the fight is still going on. And um, just a few overall things I had about the book. There's lots of interesting ways, stylistic things. So I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know if it's, I'm making it up, but it felt this way. The chapters coming from this Ultramarine's perspective use a lot less kind of colloquialisms in the descriptions, not the chats, but like the sentences were shorter and snappier and to the point. This happened, that happened, this went here, that went there. And the chapters from the perspective of the troops had a lot more sort of like not wishy-washy language but a lot more kind of normal speaking language the sentences were longer they were a little bit more rambly and it gave the impression of having this different frame of mind which i thought was really good and i don't know if i yeah. made that up but it certainly felt that way so i saw that in two different ways uh one of which was to do with i, I suppose it's kind of looking back looking in the same way one is that the ultramarines are looking back and reporting something that has happened mm-hmm and so it's going to be factual because yep. they're looking at helmet cams. They're looking back at something that's already occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how I interpreted that. Um, the other one is I just thought it was a, it conveys a great sense of speed and urgency because every sentence is so damn short. Mm. Yes. Yes, yeah. there is that. There is that. Um, also, a bit of, a bit of interesting, interesting trivia for you. Do you know what else happened at, uh, on, on Kalth later on? When I googled it, I learnt this. Who else turned uh, up at Kalth and had a fight with someone else? Ding, ding, oh, uh, is this the... Ooh, is, that uh, the is, uh, is it the Mark of Kalth? No, 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 no. Nope. It's, it's, it's... Um, give me a second, I'm trying to remember his name. It's <laughs> Lionel Johnson and Petirabo. Ah, no, not quite. Damn. It's, um, it's Old One-Eye and Scoutmaster Tellian. So that's oh, the that's okay, the, the that Tyranid Carnifex, oh, basically. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Kalth yeah, gets yeah. after the Battle of Kalth, and obviously a lot later it gets fucked by Tyranids, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so don't live on Kalth, it's a bad place to be. I mean to be fair, pretty much don't live on anywhere that's in completely the 40k true. universe, it's a bad place to be. There's mm. no good mm. places to be in the 40k universe. You are correct. So yeah, oh, and also I think I mentioned last time there was one. I said there was one bit in the book which I always always stuck with me. And actually, I think it was a different book. But um, the bit where the spaceships are falling out of the sky is a fucking awesome cinematic. Moment. Yes, yes, yes. And that'll stick with me forever. Yeah, and and it's that that's that's the bit that sticks in my mind, which is just this this uh, battle barge slowly falling out of the sky. You know, twenty kilometers long. It it drops slowly down and just cuts through the uh, the mantle, the crust of the the planet. And just, yeah, that's kind of great. <laughs> there's this knife of of magma that comes out. It's great, really, mm. really cool. Mm-hmm. There's so much good bits to it. Um, so uh, I guess we recommend it. Thumbs up, two thumbs up. Yes, 
Yeah, yeah, it's one. It, the, yeah, it's of the Horus Heresy books. There are some that are eminently skippable. This is one that's worth reading. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, there's um, is. I'm looking at other people's reviews of it to see if there's bits I miss, and that's why there's some really interesting bits in the book. Gulliman's adaptability to the chaotic situation around him. So, for example, this guy says his favorite scene is when all the ships, have, all the electronics, all the optics, all the everything's gone. So Gulliman's literally looking out a window, eyeballing what to do, and writing it with a pen and paper, figuring out what yeah. to do. That's very it's cool. So, it, I forgot it's that. It's so happened. great. It does. It does paint him as like the the kind of strategic master type thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's great. Oh god, I just um, yeah, I'm looking through things here. These, there's just some very cool things in this fucking just, book. I think Read we can goddamn book, agree. Guys. It's a very good book. Read it. it. Is, yeah. We haven't even yeah. explained all the good stuff that happened, so just friggin' read it. And, there is uh, much good stuff. It will make you like ultramarines, which is a very strange thing to to admit. People like. Hey, me. I've always liked ultramarines. <laughs> it will make you think ultramarines aren't as bad as they could be. The mm. first, the first models I brought were ultramarines, so you know. And that's normal, but that doesn't make them good. No, I mean that is true. They, they are not. They are not the forty k army I played the most games with, but they are the first one I collected. Ah, oh. do you know um, Thiel, uh, Sergeant Thiel, is he's got his own book called Red Marked. So the guy with the red helmet, he's got his own book where he's the main character. No, yes. okay, I didn't know that either. Anyway, we need to know what the um. What the next uh, what the next book is we're going to read? I think there's a very simple answer to this, given the news out from GW. What's that? Well, I mean, by the news, I mean the fact that we've now all pre-ordered Blood Bowl. I think oh, we should no. read Blood Bowl. Oh, no, but I've only heard oh. terrible things. Uh, well, no, what, the first one, Mike, yeah? Yeah, obviously. I'm not a complete okay. masochist. Now, Alex, I'll be fair. The first one is okay. Okay. It's not It's not bad. It's okay. I haven't read the fourth one. I, I've fourth got the first one. three. I don't think I've read the fourth one either. I've read them out there. And I think I'd like to read it at some point. Anyway, that is my recommendation that we read Blood Bowl by Matt Forbeck. Okay, that seems fair, considering we are, after all, a Blood Bowl podcast. That I makes think sense. That's, yeah. Read along with us at home, folks, and read a a not terrible Blood Bowl book. <laughs> Blood Bowl by was it Matt Clements? Is that what you said? What was his name? No, Matt Forbeck. Matt, Matt, where did I get Clements from? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, that's going to be the next book club, then, boys. Uh, boys and girls at home as well. Blood Bowl by Matt Forbeck. It's it's going to be average. It might be better than average. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> And I think we better leave it there for tonight because we've been babbling on for a while. We have. That we have, yeah. Oh, can I just very briefly get in Dwarf's Rock and we can move on. Uh, I will counter that with Kenry Rock Harder. So here we go. Um, I want to say Just going to point you. out, firstly, my European team is doing better than your European team. Oh, and secondly, and if I don't get this out there, I never will because I'm playing BB's Wood Elves next. I am currently top of the pile as an individual <laughs> coach in the European mm. After two rounds, and that's of everyone. I won't be after this round, but I am now. Do you, is it um, is it all uh, skill, or luck. has it been some luck in there? <laughs> no, no, no. Firmly luck because I basically pitch cleared two teams. Holy moly! I have never seen a uh, a win rating of seventy five percent. I'm looking at I, your opponent, BB. Fucking hell! Oh yeah, I mean he's he's crazy good. He is. Crazy, crazy good. The bigger problem is if you take a look at his win rating with Wood Elves, which is 82%. Wow. Holy moly. 
Now, Oof. it must yeah. be said that if we were purely going on stats, uh, my win record with dwarves is 76%. You both make me sick. That's what I'm yeah, going to say to you. My dwarves aren't normal dwarves, and that's, uh, that's based on like 20 games. His is based on a lot of games. <laughs> See, according yeah, to his, these, his uh, is based on 60, 70, 75 games. Apparently, my win ratio with Kemri is thirty-eight percent, which doesn't seem fair considering I, that doesn't. I know anything's I played four games with them. I don't know how it does that. How does I that work? work out? Yeah, but I've, I've done loads of leagues with them, so that's what I don't do. He's so kind of ranked count. in black box. Oh, wait. Well, I don't know about that. I think it counts. No, it doesn't I think count. It count. Oh no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I do apologise. Uh his win record with Wood Elves is eighty two percent over one hundred and fifty games. Oh. Basically you're gonna lose, is that what we were saying? I think he well, knows no, what he's doing. If if you've got if you've got any chance of beating any team, Wood Elves are gonna be the one to beat with dwarves, really, aren't they? You know, you've got as good a chance to beat Wood Elves as any other team, and if not more, because you are going to be able to kick the shit out of them quite hard. I would hope so. I will do my best to touch him inappropriately in the same way that I touch those dark elves. <laughs> and, well, and try, and, try, and try not to concede too many while you're doing so. I mean, his last game was against some dwarves and he beat them. So yeah, I know. I've just watched the replay. Oh, did you learn a lot? Uh, I learned that he is willing to play in quite an aggressive manner, and it seems to work very well for him. That, well, there that, we are. That, that, that does happen. Yeah, that definitely yeah. does happen. So, okay. you're open. It's great. Play on Fumble. fumble I agree. Um, we will continue this discussion next week. Hmm. Because it's late. And we'll it talk a late. lot about the Euro Open because there's a lot to talk about. Oh, there's so much to talk about. And it's great. There is, there is. And yeah, it's really it nice just playing some tournament blood ball. Yeah, you know what it is. I'm actually, I get quite excited about the games now. And it's been yeah. a long time since I got... You know, I know I said I'm falling out of love with it, but maybe it's just because I haven't been doing enough organised stuff. It's not the same. I love being able to see people's faces and talk to them while I'm playing them and yes, buy them drinks. Yeah. But if I can't do that, then this is the next best thing, you know? Yeah, I, I'm completely in agreement with that. And I, I'm going to be... I think I need to join a more, another league or something. Mm-hmm. Next, The next, uh, Alex, next secret league, maybe? Yes, he needs to join the next secret league because well, See, secret league is good. I think, I, think I want. I think I want my missing real blood bowl again. I want real mm. blood bowl, not your fake blood bowl. Secret league you know is what real. I, mean. I know what you mean. No, it, it is and it isn't. Like it's great fun, but it's not real blood bowl. It's silly blood bowl. I know what you mean. It's silly it's blood bowl. Very, it's nonsense. It's very, very silly blood bowl. Yeah, it's utter <laughs> nonsense and very very good. Excellent. Okay, good stuff. Right. I'm going to go to bed because I'm nagging. Um, thanks for coming on, guys. And let's, let's, uh, we, we talked about we talked about two things. We talked about Blood Bowl 2020, uh, again, again, and um, the Battle book Club. Yeah, Blood Club with the uh, No No Fear. Next week, next month, next year is Blood Bowl by Matt Forbeck. And we will see you all then. Until then, thanks for listening. We've been both down the number one Blood Bowl podcast in New... No, we've been anything but a one <laughs> podcast. <laughs> What could go wrong? Zing. Excellent. Yeah, good job, that's good.